0: This is the Matt Townsend Show,
1: your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at DrMattShow.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show,
2: Dr. Matt Townsend, now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry, the gang. They've been working all night long. All night
2: Hmm.
4: Trying to get the show ready for today. I worked out all night long. We'll go with that story. It makes it sound better, Jeff, if we did work all
0: night long. So you guys weren't here working (laughs) all night? No.
4: Oh, boy. There's rules against that. Really? HR would call us. Yeah, they would. They'd be so mad about it. Um, we would love to work more, but the, the email and the call from HR is just, it's too annoying to bother with. It's oppressive. It's well, it just seems like
3: you guys are always so ready with so much stuff that it must be all night that you're
0: working. Thank you, Internet.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Interweb. <laughs> hey, um, talking about uh, working all night long, President Trump, uh, grand slam on the the State of the Union. That's what some are saying. Seventy-five percent of – Says who? So. In the CVS poll, wasn't it 75 percent? Yeah. L- like really thought he
4: did a good job. Yeah, sure. A 60-something percent. Knockout job. Yeah. Does this mean that Americans want to s- see him stay on script? Yes. <laughs> I think that does mean
3: that. But uh, But behind the scenes, there's a lot of stuff going on. He's – Matt at the Department of Justice guy, Rosenstein. He's not
0: doing what he told him to. Yeah, be my guy. Are you, are you going to be my guy? Are you on my team? Except he's not. He's not like from the administration. He's not from the campaign. He's a career. He's a career. Uh, poly- he's a career. Like district attorney yeah. type of person, yeah. and so I mean, he's a career litigator working in the Department of Justice, who does his job, and his job is to see the investigation to the end, and that's yeah. something the president doesn't want. Yeah.
3: And uh, now the, the whole memo, the hidden memo that now – it's a this is a really weird precedent where the
0: president could actually release a it, memo. It's an un, a, a never-used rule, they're calling it, that yeah. the president has – So the the House uh, Intelligence Committee has voted to release this memo that is supposedly explaining how the Justice Department and the FBI overstepped their bounds and told the FISA court not all the information when they got a wiretap on a former Trump uh, aide Carter Page yeah right, so they didn't give them all the information, but got a wiretap. they're saying that right there but was what the- it, what it shows, doesn't it, is that
3: maybe the previous administration's Department of Justice, FBI, you know, right. cut the corner to get
0: somebody that was that had dirt on trump and then the current leadership continued those taps. So yeah. that's why Rosenstein's in trouble, or at least yeah. that's why the president is mad. And at there's him.
3: some memo that came out. Bec- it was the
0: so findings of one of the. They went and congressional- took all this information. It's all classified, and put like bullet points together. Yeah, here's a four-page memo that explains all of this. And they're like, we want to release it. And the FBI and the Justice Department whoa, 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 is like, this whoa, whoa. is classified. will not
3: be released. And plus, it show- yeah, it shows it also the inner sh- workings of the It
0: shows how they the government. do the wiretaps, and that's very uh, closely held thing now because now Carter Page, mm-hmm. who knows there's wiretaps, is not using his phone anymore. Which kind of goes against the whole, uh, you know, point of investigating somebody who may be doing something wrong. Right, right. So they're trying to, let's coordinate this, but then they're like, we're not going to let you look at this because this makes you look bad.
4: Oh, boy. So not not one of our office memos has been this exciting. No. No. Many of them have been four pages, but never this exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That's it. (laughs) And they have to do with parking
0: and stuff. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Come on. So the FBI came out yesterday and said, um, as expressed during our initial review, we have grave concerns about the material omissions of fact. Oh, boy. That fundamentally impact the memo's accuracy. What does um, material omissions of fact mean, Matt? If, you're, uh, if, if you claim somebody you're counseling is omitting fact from their stories, what does that mean? Well, yeah. And, but material omissions yeah. of fact. So they're
3: probably essential... Facts that are material to the situation that, okay. that matter mm-hmm. have been omitted.
0: So if you leave those out, but then you present this, uh, the rest of this information, it kind of alters the rest of the information because you're leaving out. So, yeah. What's another word for misleading, Matt? Um, chicanery.
5: <laughs> Yeah. So, is, that, is it? I don't know.
3: It's a. It, it, is it? It's just. It, but what it is is it's manipulation it's lying it's now here's the dilemma apparently it's out by a partisan vote to now where the president now gets to decide if he releases the memo or
0: not the vote went party lines yeah and the Democrats produced their own memo explaining the Republican memo and that group the House Judiciary Committee voted not to release the Democratic memo it's a lot of memos so Mm -hmm. we have two memos on the same topic. We're only going to release the one from the Republicans. the One from the Democrats we're going to keep that one. <laughs> secret. Now,
3: the the bigger problem and I think Chris Salisa said this is the problem with all of this is it just shows how broken government is. Yes. As because I... now now you have partisans almost to the point where they're willing to use intelligence agencies and they're processes to beat each other up and put stuff out in the public that isn't normally out in the public
0: right not good and now there's a hangout because the ranking member the democrat on this house committee is saying that the uh committee chairperson representative devin nunez changed the document after it was voted on and now there's You know, basically no one on the committee has seen the final document that the president has.
3: I think what this again tells us is, um, okay, Congress is not going to solve any of this, really, which is interesting because the Senate seems to be doing better on the intelligence stuff. I mean, on the uh, Russian stuff, except we don't ever hear about them because they don't have as much controversy. Their investigation isn't over yet. Well, no, but they also aren't in the news every day about their investigation because they're kind of doing it quietly the way we usually do this. Yes. And this is maybe why Mueller's
0: investigation
3: will matter more because you can't trust what's going on in Congress.
0: This all has come up in the last two weeks, this memo, and it also coincides as Mueller's getting closer to the inner circle of the White House. Yeah just kind of yeah. coincides there. So
4: as 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 it gets and closer this, this it is the
0: foundation of the Mueller investigation. Right? Because this led to Comey getting fired. This led to all these events kind of start with this investigation.
3: But but the funny thing is is they don't know that exactly.
0: No. But you but
3: so the White House many think. would say the White House are out there pulling strings to create more smoke screens and all these issues. But the reality is, is nobody really knows what's in the Mueller investigation except what Mueller's released or leaked. Right. So Mueller may be just tricking everybody. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he's going to indict
4: Putin for (laughs) not wearing his shirt. Oh, no. But we have evidence of that. Is that an indictable offense? Have you seen him without a shirt on? Some people like that. Yeah. Um, okay,
3: interesting. I, I don't normally have you go that deep into politics, but it's, it's,
0: it's but kind of interesting to know. There's all this details, and it's for me, it's kind of fun to watch because it's, it's like a soap opera. Well, like, yeah, the next you, thing, what's the next thing? Well, it's what's like when you pull thing? up next to a car accident. You're like, oh, I want to watch. Yeah, you're, every, the, the nation <laughs> can rubberneck at this car wreck of politics going on. But as you said, <sighs> it just comes down to show that we're willing – certain parts of the government are willing to go to certain extremes – yeah to win for mm-hmm. whatever reason
4: but haven't we known that for decades not this far though well mm. and, and two, nobody's really winning no everyone loses it just turns into just
0: a, a we're all as just someone a bunch calls of it a, a partisan food fight and at the I end would you're love just, to see you're that, just covered in mashed potatoes
3: <laughs> next thing you know you're wiping mashed potatoes off your That's face. It. Uh, all right, let's get to the rest of the headlines, Terry. What else should we be watching?
0: Former Trump spokesperson for President, or spokesperson for President Trump's legal team plans on detailing to Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team how a press release regarding Donald Trump Jr.'s 2016 meeting at Trump Tower with Russians was crafted, and how White House Communications Director Hope Hicks said Trump Jr.'s emails about the meeting will quote never get out. Never. Three people familiar with the matter tell the New York Times. Mark Carallo resigned as spokesperson in July 2016. The same month the press release was written aboard Air Force One as Trump and his aides flew back to the U.S. from the G20 summit in Germany. Hicks made the comment about the emails during the conference call. The three people told the Times and Carallo was concerned she might be contemplating obstruction of justice. The press release said that the meeting was only about Russian adoptions, but it was later revealed that when Trump Jr.'s emails were made public that he had been promised compromising. Information on Hillary Clinton. Do you remember how Trump Jr.'s emails were made public? Yeah, he tweeted them out. It was his fault. Just look <laughs> at yourself, pal. <laughs> it's like, come on, quit blaming.
3: Just look at yourself.
0: So there may be something there. that going on. Mueller seems to be very concerned about that flight. Yeah, and who made who? Who crafted the press release? The story that's out there now is that President Trump. Yeah, was was involved. the one telling everyone what goes in the press release? If so, does that constitute obstruction of justice? Oh, brother, who knows? But what so is he's trying to nail down? The what facts does that around. have
3: to do with Russia?
0: Uh, yeah, President Trump asked Deputy. Well, the meeting was with Russia. and It was. I know. And and, and I've I've told you the story how this all leads back to Vladimir Putin's billions that are stuck I away know. in Swiss it's bank all accounts. All Come on. Okay, President Trump and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein in December, he asked him in December if he was on my team. So Trump brings in Rosenstein and says, hey, are you on my team? (laughs) Uh, CNN reported this yesterday. Rosenstein originally visited the White House to ask for Trump's support in fighting off uh, document demands from the House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunez. He's According back. to sources, Rosenstein was surprised by Trump's question reportedly responded, Of course, we're all on your team, Mr. President. The Department of Justice and the White House declined to comment on the incident. This comes after Trump also reportedly asked of, uh, FBI Director James Comey, soon to be former Deputy FBI Chief Andrew McCabe, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions about their loyalty to him. A lot of loyalty questions he's, he's, like, he's like, you remember sixth grade? Um, vaguely. Do you remember the really big,
3: insecure kid but yeah. that was big and kind of a bully, but, you know, was rich and you liked him, <laughs> and you wanted to go hang out at his house because he had all the toys, but then he was rude to the girls or whatever, and then you, he'd always come over and say, so you're my friend, right? You're my friend, right? <laughs> and you'd be like, oh yeah.
0: Sure. Totally. <laughs> Doesn't that... Loyalty pledges ah. with people trying to enforce the law. Yeah. becomes complicated, and especially when the person in the White House is being investigated by each one of these people. He's yeah. asked a loyalty pledge from them. It's kind of a problem. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg attempts to fix Facebook. They are causing users to spend less time on the service. Facebook CEO told Investors Wednesday that tweaks made to the content it shows users have led to a 5% drop in the total amount of time users spend on this social network. Oh, well, see, so he is helping us. It's a fifth. What's a 50 million-hour reduction overall. Uh, honestly, that's, that's great. great. Yeah, thank this, you. This was part of a statement with the company's fourth-quarter earnings report that decline is said to come from a decision to show fewer viral videos in the news Facebook also reported its first-ever decline in daily users in the U.S. and Canada. It had 184 million daily users in this region in the quarter, uh, down from 185 million in the prior was quarter. Was that so his goal? Down. Was his goal to... No, I uh, get doubt it. More people to not use his product? No, I think he's trying to make it so it'll be a, a nicer place to go. Well, But, the but, funny, it, but initially you're going to lose people because you're messing with things.
3: Yeah, but a lot of people like the viral videos. He on, just doesn't like them because he doesn't
0: make money on viral stuff. On a different story, members of Congress were on a train yesterday and it crashed into a garbage truck. Oh, yeah, Ooh. I heard that. And nobody was hurt on the train. Somebody on the garbage truck died. So Mike Lee of weird. was on the train. A bunch of people, a bunch of members of Congress who were medical, medically trained jumped off the train, helped people. We'll talk about it. But uh, that story yeah. has turned into, in certain areas of the web, has turned into a, um, a uh, kamikaze attack. Oh like boy. because hmm. of the memo that yeah. someone tried to take out Congress or something.
4: Wow. That
0: this is evidence of a civil war and that all started on Facebook and some of the trending ah. stories and they still haven't fixed their their algorithms to try to Not an read accident, out, but an create. an intentional attack on our government. Yeah. And you're just like uh. <laughs> Wow. So this stuff happens. And uh, Super Bowl this week, obviously. Philadelphia police think they found something better than Crisco to keep Philadelphia fans from climbing light poles if the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Did they really put Crisco on them? They did last oh my week. Goodness. Or two weeks ago. But yeah. the uh, they are keeping their playbook secret. They're not saying what they're using. Uh, a contingent of workers who jokingly called themselves the Crisco Cops applied shortening to light poles before the NFC Championship game two <laughs> weeks ago. But it failed to stop some fans after the Eagles victory. Yeah, there was photos of people just climbing. I mean, well, right up inebriated
3: the people that don't yeah. know there's Crisco on there. They're, They're still going to work that
0: pole. It might have been frozen, too. Asked Tuesday whether police have found something slicker. Commissioner Richard Ross says, we think so. He promised that whatever police do, it will be safe. It will be effective. He says climbing poles this Sunday will be far more difficult than when they, they use the vegetable oil product, which the weather can affect. So I think it froze, and so they just climbed right up the pole. Ross says police uh. are working to assure safety of fans as well as the people who... They, uh, they don't want them falling off poles and getting hurt.
4: I'm predicting pies. Really? They're going to use pies. Really? Yes. Pies. Pies. They're, they're sticking with Crisco pies, only baked products. Why don't, or products used for all baking. All you have to do is bring a ladder mm. and then put the ladder higher
3: than the Crisco line and you're up the pole. No Crisco stopping an Eagles. They start. made a
0: big deal about all these. They, they showed utility trucks and people just greasing the poles here. And then all of a sudden afterwards, you see all these people out celebrating and all these people climbing all the light poles and <laughs> traffic <perfect laughs>
4: poles in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's like, good job, guys. Have you ever had the Ugh. desire to climb a light pole?
0: Never. Hmm? Your, Never. Team, your team isn't going to the Super Bowl.
4: So what about like after an appointment to the dentist and you're kind of loopy? How nope. about then? No. Nope. No. Nope? nope. Okay. I have had a desire to uh to um Crisco
3: a uh, pole before. Mm. Yeah. Like a like a like a flagpole. Right. Sure. Because I was never the kid in like class that could climb the rope very well. Why did we even have that rope? Yeah. Rope burn. They wanted everyone to know what a rope burn felt like. <laughs> I wasn't – you remember you had to do that for like some physical
0: education thing. It was thing. a presidential yeah. fitness test of some kind. That yeah. was a Ronald Reagan presidential yeah. fitness test. And then they stopped because it was just shaming everyone because we can't yeah. climb ropes. No.
3: We're not – you know, maybe we're not meant to climb ropes. <laughs> maybe. And that bell just looked – I mean, our
0: bell was like pristine. No one touched that bell. <laughs> <Stop laughs> that's of the thing. By the um, way, in Minnesota, crazy. yeah, in Minneapolis where the Super Bowl will be – I saw a temperature this morning of minus four degrees.
3: Wow. Oh, lovely!
4: That's that's delightful. But it's
3: indoors, right? So yeah, but it's, it's going to be that. That's what's too bad about this is
4: it's it's anyone's game now. By the way, that's the temperature in my house currently. Oh yeah, you still so. haven't
3: fixed your furnace, huh?
4: No. So we had them replace the sensor, the flame sensor, mm. and uh, no, uh, hold,
3: on, hold on, the flame sensor that you broke.
4: Yeah. Okay,
3: <laughs> now, how'd
4: you break it? Brushing it with a toothbrush. Brushing it with a toothbrush yeah. snapped right off. Mm. So um, whose toothbrush was that? By now me? they want to they want to take the Good fins question. out Business of the wise. AC unit, clean those, re- put, uh, refill the Oops, uh, so. refrigerant. Yeah, yeah, and then put it back. And apparently it's gonna cost anywhere from 900 to seventeen hundred dollars watch out They'll I go, never, wait,
0: wait your your dishwashers broken what happened
4: it. I never would have thought I would have to repair the AC to repair the heater oh yeah doesn't make any sense to me oh yeah
3: they're one unit and by the way you're repairing the AC and putting new refrigerant in while your family is freezing to death in the winter
0: yeah
3: I mean there's irony there it's kind of ironic it's uh you this was your
4: worst nightmare too, because you you were thinking they're going to come in and just start charging you so now the conundrum is, do we spend close to seventeen hundred dollars to fix a unit that is already fifteen years old, or do we just cough up a few thousand more and buy a new unit? Uh, see see these are the blessings of home ownership, yeah. That's a good that's a good word for it. Blessing. If you lived in an apartment, you wouldn't have to deal with this, right? If you exactly. were renting, this
3: would be your problem.
4: And apparently, my wife told me, had we not let our home ownership or a home warranty policy run out, this would all be covered, all of it. Ah, uh, see, that could have the, paid six hundred bucks, bah, and it could have all been covered. That's
3: the downside of having your wife be such a smart accountant type. Because she knows that. So it's
4: better to be ignorant.
3: Yes. Ignorant is bliss. Ignorant is bliss. Well, I'm sorry you're going through that. And I wish, you know, if you want some heat, do if you want to bring your kids over, bring them over. <laughs> My house was roasting yesterday. Sorry. <laughs> ah, I, we were just ah, balmy. Balmy. A balmy 73 degrees in my house. You're a monster! Sorry about that. Hey, up next we're going to be talking about uh, why manufacturing still matters. Uh, It's the the percentage of our gross domestic product um, coming from manufacturing is dropping and dropping and dropping. And yet going up in a lot of other countries, including Western countries, what is it about the United States and our manufacturing sector? We'll talk about it up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. You know, in the 1950s, manufacturing generated nearly 30 percent of the U.S. GDP over the past uh, uh, 55 years. That share has gradually declined now down to less than 12 percent, which was an amazing, amazing drop when you think about it. And uh, meanwhile, other other areas have been going up. Real estate, finance, Wall Street have been growing in their power and their strength. So here to explain to us why manufacturing uh, has been dropping and and why it still matters and has immense import uh, for all of us here in the country is um, uh, Louis Ushatel. He covered economics and labor issues for The New York Times for 25 years and is the author of the book Making It, Why Manufacturing Still Matters, uh, Louis, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. This is, um, it's so interesting. And in fact, when you think of President Trump, you know, kind of uh, having some strength in the Rust Belt, strength in the Midwest, it seems like there is a connection to the fact that a lot of these manufacturing jobs are leaving America and, and the craziness of our political world today. What has happened to manufacturing in America?
6: Well, manufacturing in America... Um, What has happened is that most manufacturing in America is done by multinational corporations, two-thirds of it to be exact. Multinational corporations, by definition, have uh, factories or uh, overseas, and they choose more often than not to make over to, to manufacture overseas what they sell overseas. They offshore. And that has been uh, so. Instead of exporting, which is what I think we should be doing more of, we uh, the multinationals put factories overseas and serve for, um, uh, uh, foreign customers overseas. Uh, Consumers that way yeah and they're often aided by uh, governments abroad who subsidize them the same as we subsidize our manufacturers
3: because the um, the numbers in China as as the numbers in the United States of manufacturing the percentage of I guess uh, of uh, GDP I guess it is has yes. been going down in the u s it's in china it's out it's out of control. China and Japan
6: are pretty high yes. In this country, it's about 12 percent, and it's declined from – well, after World War II, it was almost 30 percent, and it's declined not rapidly but steadily uh, through the years as a – that is, manufacturing output goes up. If you make two widgets one year, you make three the next. Yeah. But other sectors of the economy go up faster so manufacturing share of the of the economy continues keeps dropping and it's dropped from nearly 30% in the early 50s down to about 12% today um
3: but in china they 32% of their gdp is manufacturing
6: yes south korea is similarly high oh, wow. germany has a higher percentage than we do um manufacturing to, uh, is a very essential part of the economy uh, for two reasons: one, we have it, it's the source of most exports, and without it, we run trade deficits. We have we, the last time we had a trade surplus was back in the 1970s. And uh, the second thing is, it's uh, it's a wage leader. Manuf- uh, unions, uh, factories are easy to organize because people work together. It's one factory; you can stop production, and that's where. Labor's strength has been. Um, and now, of course, with fewer and fewer factories, less and less uh, uh, less and less employment in factories, uh, that that uh, robs, if you will, robs labor of a very uh, you know l- important lever for raising wages.
3: does is that part of the problem, Lewis, with this? because um it seems like, we always hear that, you know, it's just cheaper. It's just so much cheaper for them to manufacture abroad. Is it that, um, that we have the pressure to keep the wages up here in the United States, but they can't compete with the wages and the low cost of labor in other places?
6: Well, first of all, uh, manufacturing, because it's so automated, uh, the share of workers in manufacturing, the number of workers in manufacturing keeps dropping, but simply for- As a result of automation, if we had no other problem, no other country to compete against in some mythical world, uh, labor, uh, uh, the workforce, which would drop anyway simply Ah. because of the automation. And it's dropped from about 19 million in 1979 uh, to about 12 million today. Those are round numbers. Um, That can't be helped. Yeah. uh uh you can uh, maybe the I mean one way to employ more people is massive infrastructure uh spending. I would love, for example to get on a train in New York or on the east Coast at uh, six o'clock in the evening and wake up in uh, San Francisco in a high speed train yeah, wouldn't that be going cool three hundred and fifty miles an hour in San Francisco the next morning. That would be labor – and constructing that infrastructure would be labor-intensive. Trump threatens to do that or says he'll do it in some vague form, but it doesn't happen, and his plans so far don't even come near that.
3: Yeah. We're speaking with Louis Ushetel, who uh, covered economics and labor issues for The New York Times for 25 years. And uh, he's now put together – he now has a book out, Making It, Why Manufacturing Still Matters, um, and the Disposable American Layoffs and Their Consequences. He lives in Scarsdale, uh, New York. And, Lewis, I guess uh, one of the things that these other countries are doing, um, which, which really is kind of putting their money where their mouth is, they're, as, as governments, they're investing in manufacturing. They're subsidizing it.
6: Well, we are, too. Public money is roughly one third. Of, if if you think of manufacturing output as about uh, north of two trillion a year, um, probably a third of that. I don't. I hesitate to use the word subsidies, but it's. Uh, but that's a good. It's I supporting, would prefer yeah. The word public money because it includes weapons, for example.
2: Mm.
6: We uh, most of the defense department orders. Um, Weaponry from American manufacturers—that's roughly 10 percent of all factory output in this country.
2: Yeah. Then, if
6: you look out, uh, I'm sitting in my home office right now and looking at the uh, at the sanitation truck coming by. That's made in America under Buy American cla- huh. uh, uh, clauses in most uh, municipal uh, in most municipal uh, contracts. Um, so you have a situation where we are spend, we we are spending a nothing that's made isn't uh, gets made without some sort of public money being involved or subsidy. Yeah, uh, factories get to, we have this you know uh, intercity competition. So one city, St. Louis, offers a manufacturer a free empty factory, fully built with. Uh, with uh, with all with roads and rail lines and whatever and another tops it with an even better offer and that um, is a form of subsidies um it's a, it's a wasteful way of doing it but it's uh, it's going on yeah. what we should have is a, a a national subsidy program that that targets a higher output of uh, a higher output and from that higher output, there should be exports.
3: Well, we see we see Amazon looking to you know build another headquarters somewhere in the country, and everyone starts bidding for it. Like you're saying, yeah, every, all this uh, this um, government money gets pl- placed in it. Um, so, so we see it as a normal thing. It, I wonder if there's is there a generational um, gap, or maybe it's not even generational. Maybe it's just geographical where. Uh, it, so many people are talking about tech and tech jobs and um, and STEM, you know, kind of jobs and education. That I wonder if a lot of people are thinking they don't want to grow manufacturing; they'd rather grow whatever, more tech, coding jobs. But in reality, this, I mean, these are good jobs, right? This is this is middle America.
6: Yeah, the value added in manufacturing. You have to think of it in terms of value added. Um, when you well, let me go back a step. Gen, uh, General Motors, for example, went uh, went into bankruptcy and it uh, then it recovered. The government bailed it out, bought stock, did all sorts of things. General Motors today in China makes north of two million vehicles a year. Wow and, of course, with Chinese subsidies and all sorts of things. Why why is it that that's going on? Why is it that uh, uh, Mr. Trump or, or Barack Obama or Clinton, all the way back, or Bush, uh, to be nonpartisan about this, why didn't somebody say, look, GM, you have to make those cars here in the United States. We bailed you out. We mm. still subsidize you. And you have to, instead of... China making two million of those cars a year in China, make one million in China and the other million here. And if you run into trouble with uh, the Chinese government, will we, the U.S. government, the uh, Obama administration or the Trump administration, will run interference for you. But we want one million cars exported from here. You don't see any of that
3: Why don't we do that? Uh, Answer me that, Lewis, because that's – and it is bipartisan. It's like nobody's pushed that. It almost seems like Trump might be at a point where he might kind of be that way on trade and, you know, demanding stuff from uh, the American companies. But uh, it also seems like it's pushing – it's making other people mad.
6: Well, uh, Trump or – I mean I don't want to get into – Politics, but you don 't hear Trump saying that you didn 't hear Obama saying that you didn 't hear Clinton saying that why don 't we push it? I guess because the multinational companies that do this um, find that uh, it 's uh, a better system to have uh, uh, to, to operate in in each country as if each country was a separate union unit mm. yeah. Um, Dow Chemical has a whole network of factories in China and even a research facility there to make insulation for refrigerators uh, and other uh, petrochemicals and other uh, chemically-based products. Why isn't that exported from here? There is no good answer, except you, the only answer would be, well, we have... Worldwide, manufacturers worldwide have the capacity to make much more than there are consumers with money in their pocket to purchase what is made. Yeah. So we, in effect, ration it. Uh, perhaps we should subsidize the consumers. Uh, certainly, we should sit down and say to ourselves we cannot afford to have trade deficits year in and year out. Because the real danger isn't is that two or three generations, right now the Chinese, to take an example, simplify it, take, we buy more from them than, we, than they buy from us. So we pay them in dollars. They have dollars they can't spend in this country on what's made in this country. They take those dollars and they put them into U.S. Treasuries, U.S. government securities the U.S. government then releases that money back into the system, and people uh, go on buying. Uh, eventually, the Chinese will say, no, we're not going to do this anymore, Just as we, uh, and the dollar will collapse, mm-hmm. uh, just as the uh, British pound collapsed between the two world wars, the first and the second world war. And when that happens, we'll either have to go back to making stuff again, or we will... I don't know what will be. Now yeah. I don't think that's going to happen in our generation or my I have two uh, uh, daughters who are married and raising children. I don't think it's going to happen in their generation. I don't think it it might not happen in my grandchildren's and our hmm. grandchildren's generation. But when it does, but eventually it will happen.
3: What what can we do, Lewis? Uh, just the average American um, to, to really support more of this idea of made-in-America and get manufacturing
6: working in our area? Well, that's a very good question, and I don't have a good answer. Um, and that's partly because our politicians, our leading political uh, Democrats and Republicans, haven't faced the issue that way. Uh, I don't know why they haven't, but it hasn't been – It ha- what we can do is to try, as I'm trying to do through making it, why manufacturing still matters, uh, is get the issue out there before people. Let, make people understand uh, what the real issue is, and uh, that's a hard sell. It's not uh, – uh, I, I, look, I worked for the New York Times for a long time, <laughs> and uh, – um, I don't know. There's the, we seem to be distracted by other issues, yeah. and not by this uh, this persistent, um, draining trade deficit that uh, that is really a result of insufficient manufacturing in this country, not of high high tech products, but of ordinary products as well as high tech products.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, Lewis. Thank you so much for your time and for your insight, and really, I think, also for your energy and, and kind of watching over, uh, being a kind of a, a watch on the uh, on a tower as for our manufacturing. It, it is a complicated issue, and there is a lot of uh, history behind it and a lot of complexity and, as you said, even a lot of um, just distraction. But, man, there's power also to be able to say, yep, made in America – and to figure out some of the solutions to make it cleaner and safer and uh, allow manufacturing to bring those wages up as well. There's a lot of people that need jobs today, and that's a great way to do it. Well, we will continue the journey, folks. More ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Well, apparently, D.C. is not what it used to be, because more and more people can hardly wait to get out of there. Trey Gowdy, who is a power player in uh, the GOP side of Congress, yep. he's done. He's not running for re-election. He's done. Misses hair. Yeah. Well, he, but he's, the, he's the guy that, if, if you don't know him, he is the one that's kind of the litigator... And is an
0: amazing attorney, supposedly, and is going to go back and just work for the Justice Department yep. somewhere. He goes, everything must – he said, everything must come to an end. I'm going to go back to work in the Justice Major Department. fighter, right? Like, and, and then he took Chaffetz's place.
3: Mm-hmm. So what do you think it is? They just – by the way, these are
0: all GOP leaders – uh, well, that are yeah. leaving in the middle of the GOP power. Part of it, if you look at, there was a list yesterday I saw with all the heads of committees. And, of course, Republicans are in power right now, so they have all the chairmanships of these committees. There's a limit. Newt Gingrich put in a, uh, when he was in office, he, put, he passed a bill so that there was a time limit, a term limit on how many, how many years you can be a committee chairperson. And if you're the head and, and it just comes to a point where you have to give up your committee chair. Yeah. And at that point, they're like, and that, and this is a lot of, that's why there's a lot in the house because they've held the house for a little bit. And so these committee chair people are coming to the end of their terms. And it's like, do you want to go back to just being a rank file member mm. instead of, you know, from being on this position of influence? And then uh, there's been other reports of kind of off the record discussions with people saying it's just not fun anymore no. because you can't pass a bill. Well, you can't pass a bill. And where
3: these guys were having fun was in oversight, mm-hmm. which is more fun to do against the opposition oh, party. Yeah. And, um, but he, he didn't have anyone to run against. He yep. I, I guess he had a pretty clean run that he would have won again. But it also is telling you it's just it's not fun to have oversight on uh, the current administration
0: because facts are dark and nebulous and cloudy. And it may work against something yeah. you're trying to get accomplished. So. You know, you start having conflicts of interest, and like, uh. what what is powerful though? I mean, it used to be that, um, sure, politics
3: was dirty, but there were a lot of people that still wanted it. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is interesting, where it almost seems like now, people that are in it, that have it, that might be really good at it, they're even like going, "I don't want anything to do with this." So, what happens in the country when good people that are in it don't want to be near it anymore? And uh, then what kind of people would come in and walk into that? Ay, ay, ay It's kind of scary.
0: becomes problematic. Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: Other it's news. Scary. President
0: need- Trump announced he will not do the Super Bowl pregame interview. So he, you can he's cross not going to do it. You can cross that off your pregame activities. Okay. It, uh, late Wednesday, they, the White House official confirmed the news to CNN Wednesday saying that Trump is not doing the interview with NBC News ahead of the Super Bowl, which is usually the highest rated event of the year. And so... This is – I mean, I think President Bush was involved in these and then it moved to – Obama did several. And it's just – you go in, you sit down and talk. Whoever has the broadcast talks to the president. Last year, Fox, Fox had the broadcast. Yeah. So Bill O'Reilly interviewed the president. So he did it. Done. And this year, it's NBC. The, and then they're saying there's all sorts of different uh, reasons. The president has repeatedly derided NBC and his journalists as fake news. The network and the president has left the invitation open – yeah but they'd probably ask him about the Russia investigation, and the President probably doesn't want to have to deal with that <laughs> and I don't think America does that day either, yeah, I think they'd rather just do something else than deal with that well let's, let's what's let's watch a... Tom Brady win again yeah uh, yeah i I think everyone
3: needs a break from politics or you know?
0: as I was reading last night, so many people like, I really don't like football, but I love the commercials, yeah, that's my it's <laughs> like, oh really. <laughs> Football's kind of barbaric, but I love the commercials.
4: Great. Or the halftime show. Oh, yeah. But all the commercials you can just watch online now after the fact. Or before.
0: Really? A lot of times they're released on YouTube, like, Tomorrow, you're not trying to dissuade people from
4: watching. No, I just think. Are you talking about like the Peter Dinklage uh, Doritos commercial with of, Morgan Freeman? There's, there's
0: quite a few companies they release because they spend so much money. They're trying to get as much viewership on this as possible in the game, but they also want people watching these things on YouTube, and they get more reach that way. Yeah. And just this hmm, is hey, know.
3: this is America.
0: I just want to watch the game. I, I I honestly think everybody needs to just
3: turn off the rest of the news. And just go have a great weekend. And just know that the war will start again Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Okay, well, we'll continue uh, hopefully bringing some hope to you as we, uh, you know, figure our way through this crazy mess of life. This is the Matt Townsend Show, We're doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. more headlines folks uh what else should we be paying attention to
0: terry a uh, guy in uh, seattle's trying to bring back the waterbed no Uh, yeah they were all the rage learned they were all the rage in the 70s all but you know then they disappeared because it's a bad idea my
3: wife i mean my daughter had one they're
0: fun he says i don't
4: i don't think millennials have ever seen one don't we have enough seasickness on the sea why do we need to bring it into our home good point. He's, he says he has a model a queen-size
0: mattress be available at his store for those looking to indulge they can pay around 2 grand. Oh. I just remember my my neighbors they every few months you'd see them running around the house with buckets because some <laughs> it was leaking upstairs. Uh, there or, is nothing better. Or you'd have a hose hanging out the bedroom window draining yeah. Oh yeah. It drains forever. Bed. But there is nothing better
3: than a waterbed if you turn the heater off on the waterbed in the summer. Hmm. Oh, it's I can see that. Everywhere you roll, it's just cool. It's just nice and cool.
4: Yeah, but what if you're somebody that tosses and turns no, in the middle you, of the night, like well, me? Right. Well, and your wife would she'd be yeah. all over the place. No, right.
3: I'd be working with you too as a couple. <laughs> it
0: would be really difficult. In other news, yes, there's a there's a race in Bedford County, Tennessee. Okay, it's called the Big Dog Backyard Run Ultra. Oh, the Big fun. Dog Backyard Ultra. The idea, run a single loop measuring 4.16667 miles. Isn't that three sixes? Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. Sounds so, like a bad race. So you run this loop within a single hour. Okay. Right? Now do it again and again and do it again, starting a new loop yeah. at the beginning of each hour.
4: Hmm. Huh.
0: Regardless of how fast you finished the previous one. Yeah. Until there's only one runner willing to and capable of continuing to run one loop every Ooh. hour on the hour. How, how far is the loop again? Four miles. 4.1667 miles. So oh, you just wow. keep going until you're the last runner. Until everyone else has quit and you're the last one. So that doesn't leave much of a break uh, in no, between races. So apparently the weird loop distance has in fact been carefully chosen. So each 24 hours equals a perfect 100 miles.
3: Wow. Hmm. Okay, now,
0: now uh, why would we do this? Uh, people do this. Another twist is that every 12 hours, you'll change between a daytime trail and a nighttime trail because the road loop is uh, less elevation gain, and it's, of course, less technical because you know, running off-road versus on-road. Or on, you know, on-road, it's nice and smooth. Yeah. Off-road, you got hills and rocks and everything. Do you win money, or do you get oh, yeah, a job yeah. there's, there's or prize, something? There's prize money okay. here. Okay. So, uh, so they switch between that every 12 hours. And when you're on the road, you get to run. It's faster because it's less obstructions. Okay, and so sure. you get more rest time between loops. Right, right. So there's that little tactical thing. If you can get to the the daytime or the nighttime trail on the road, you can pick up some time. Uh, so the winning the winner was a guy named uh, Goulamay Clemente. Oh, he's a Frenchman. So yeah, that, yeah, he's yeah, a Frenchman. Mm-hmm. He, he won that by a distance of running, running 246
4: miles. Oh. 59 loops over 59 hours. Oy vey! Can you imagine what would happen to your grankles if you attempted that? No, my
3: grankles. I just had to walk for TV yesterday. I'll explain it in the next hour. (laughs) And I was worried about my grankles the entire time. It ends
0: with, obviously, the bad dog Backyard Ultra isn't for everyone. No, absolutely not. Not even for a dog. Shouldn't be for anyone, really. Sounds like a
3: bad dog would do that crazy stuff, folks. Man, be grateful. You just uh, do your fun little walking events. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. More fun straight ahead.
4: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
4: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
4: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
6: BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. Jeff on keyboard. Terry will be doing, uh, I think he's just going to be doing vocals today. I hope, was hoping for acoustics. <laughs> yeah, you'd be really good. Uh, Terry will be on the marimba playing a little uh, background beat for us. Got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about Octum, Baby. Who? It's a book about how maybe we need to learn to parent our children with a little more German flair. Really? So pool noodles. Leaderhausen. No, um like with a little more pool. freedom to the child to make mistakes, not micromanaging, not hovering. Pool noodles. I don't know that German are I don't know that
0: they're big in pool noodles. I bet you, hmm. if they saw it, they would approve of that parenting tactic. But some of the gave them lots of chocolate, maybe. <laughs> oh, German chocolate!
3: One of the things they, they found in a study is that uh, school teachers in Germany are less likely to get in and intervene when the kids are fighting.
2: Hmm. So when
3: kids are fighting, if somebody's not about to be injured, to hear people get arrested for that, let the kids, let the kids learn to resolve their own conflicts. So little kid fight clubs. No. Oh. No. What but Well no, we're not supposed to talk when about. When you it. don't get invited to a birthday party, yeah. Should that be the teacher's problem to mm-hmm. have to then go fix and deal with all the parents and and make a an end to that type of problem so really, or would it be better that the families or the kids themselves
0: actually go deal with so it and more of it? a lord of the flies approach to things
4: <laughs> this is timely because my <laughs> daughter just handed out a few birthday invitations yeah. the other day oh, and yeah. i was kind of worried like what's going to happen when these other kids notice they're not getting a, a handmade card oh yeah no this is this is a big this is some birthdays
0: schools, are a big deal some schools have the policy that if you hand them out everyone in your class gets one Right. what yeah. they can't enforce that well and is that well because they they try to hand them out of school because that's when you see everyone together right. so but when you're doing it at school you're excluding people and that only works is important for
4: that and... only works for gum okay <laughs> you got to bring enough gum for everybody yeah
0: now, now now
3: this may actually be perfect for the point is that the way you teach your children to handle conflict in the world is by no you if... let them figure it out Lord of the
4: Flies yeah. You just let them say well, one of the sorry, flies is a you little You hand more them
0: a, a seashell and say go for
4: it. <laughs> I just didn't like you enough to invite you.
0: <laughs> so, th- th- this is what we will be going through the rest of their lives, the right? The only rule is one kid needs to be named Piggy because that's in the book.
3: You can also, by the way, have a meeting that a lot of times the teachers will teach a principle to the class, but then they would still let the class govern their own action. Instead of trying to, you know, ban all birthday
0: parties. Now, if you do let the kids go all Lord of the Flies, do you get – does the parent get to name the factions? Because that would be kind of fun. You have hmm. got to let that go. You could name – I mean, you, you, I just think of that. You this, could is, name, this, is why, this is why you have monitors monitoring your parenting. Well, it's why it's good that my wife comes home every few hours and goes, what are you doing? It is, you're, you, it, your wife is an angel.
4: <laughs> I, think the, I think the reason you keep bringing that up is because when you're assigned to read that in school – the whole time you're reading it, you're thinking, wow, are, why are they letting us read this? This oh, yeah. book is so cool. It's like Com- a blueprint for chaos. <laughs> Compared to, like, Catcher in the Rye and mm-hmm. The Grapes of Wrath, yeah. the, all these other really depressing, sad books. Yeah. It's exciting. Not that that one's really positive. No, but it's
0: exciting. Because at the end, you're like, oh, the adults come back. All right. Speaking of adults coming back...
4: Um <laughs> <laughs> well, Where's was, this going? Was that a clue for us to start acting like adults again? Yeah, I was okay, just sorry.
3: Notice, I don't even have anything to segue to. No. I was just hoping by saying <laughs> that that you would eventually turn back into. By
4: adults. the way, I can. You look like a floating head right now. I can't even you. see you. Why? Well, you're wearing this stark black, black shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've never worn one before that I can remember. Dual pocketed, by the way. Yeah. It's and I could put a pen in either. It's side. like
0: like you're going on safari.
4: I can only see your head <laughs>
3: and okay. your hands. That's all I've got, head and hands. <laughs> wow, your eyes are bad. Your eyes are really bad. That is, by the way, uh, so yesterday I had, um, a, I had the opportunity to be videoed with my wife for a television show.
0: Was it an opportunity?
3: Yeah, I try to be very positive. And um, hmm. we, A, we had to clean our entire house because they came to our house to do the shoot. Oh, oh. wow. And so that's, that's difficult. The entire house? Uh-huh. Oh, that's well, the no, worst part no, of we, having we company moved, over. We moved everything out of where we were shooting into all the other rooms. So oh, gotcha. now okay. we have one or two incredibly clean rooms mm-hmm. and like six really dirty rooms now um, where well, we shut the door. So The ironing
0: matter. board's off in this room. Yeah. yeah. I got you. Go ahead. But
3: uh, my, my wife and I then got to talk about our marriage. Oh. It was awesome. Great. It was such a great thing. And then they needed – Was she
0: blinking Morse code to people like, like, help me, help help me? No. But we then – they
3: needed some action shots. Oh, wow.
0: And I'm like, well,
3: what would that look like? Marriage in action? And it's – so what we did is we made cookies Uh, with our kids, Oh,
4: oh,
0: which – you'll see the video. It was – did they use a drone to get the footage my, or? No,
4: my kids didn't oh. want to be there. Did you even make it to the actual cookie portion or did everybody eat the cookie dough before you could get there? No, they were all eating cookie dough, but hmm. we just – anyway. What it, kind of cookies? It was weird. Uh, chocolate chip. Oh, and yeah,
3: then yeah. we went on a walk. Uh, as a family? No, just my wife and I. Oh, okay. Because that's what we do. Yeah. We go on mm-hmm. walks and that's where we talk and that's where we solve a lot of problems. And that's a lot of times where I get my – The golden years. My cankle falls. Yeah. Because I have Nana's ankles. And the problem with it is, is when, you, when you take a shot of you going on a walk, it's not one shot. It's about nine shots. Yeah. Hmm. And our poor photographer was working up a sweat trying to move his camera because it was a lot of work. And these were pro – this is a professional photographer that shoots like news hmm. stuff. And he was working way hard. His name was Biff. No. It's always named Biff. But I, it, no? okay. it just brought to uh, memory about – or just how much of our life is kind of contrived. Huh. And uh, – Wow. Well, I mean, it, it really is until – but you don't know that until somebody actually wants to come shoot your life. Right. Sure. And then you're like, because what would we normally be doing if they weren't there? If we'd all be on our couch. Everyone would have a device in front of them. Right. Uh, Not making
0: cookies as no. a family, Yeah.
3: We might even make cookies as a family, but we wouldn't do it. That we wouldn't do it standing around looking at each other. But it's. I, then I started thinking maybe what we ought to do is the contrived is really more of what we want. Hmm. So now my family and I, we've decided we are going to start making more cookies with all of us standing around together making the cookies at once. These were frozen cookies that you just yeah cut put off out the, roll, on the yeah. sure. It took about twenty seconds.
0: Right,
4: but. Do you know what would make this an even more pleasant and positive experience? What? Is if you brought these cookies with you to work.
3: Yeah, that would make it neat. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't do that, though. No, you didn't. No. uh, Speaking of doing things that we didn't do, let's get to the news. Uh, with Terry and find out what else, Terry, should we be paying attention
0: In to? In a rare public statement, the FBI said Wednesday that it has grave concerns about material omissions of fact that fundamentally impact the accuracy of a secret memo backed by Republicans. The memo, which was compiled by the GOP staffers for the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes, reportedly accuses FBI and Justice Department officials of abusing surveillance laws to get court permission to surveil President Trump's campaign advisor, mm. Carter Page. Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee voted to release the document Monday. The FBI said it was provided a limited opportunity to review the memo the day before the committee voted to release it. Democrats have argued that the memo is misleading, could compromise intelligence sources and methods, and aims to undercut the Russia investigation. President Trump has two days now to have to review the memo and decide if he should block its release. Wow, there's a memo. And depending on which side you are, it's very important or very yeah. important. We talked about this. This again. This is a one. This is a. This would be a brand
3: new thing, but it also. I don't. It's scary. You, he's messing with, the FBI. Yeah, and the intelligence agencies, and also the public confidence in those and it's agencies. becoming. But it's and it's not even just him. It's all the political parties now mm-hmm. are using this as a. I don't know, like a
0: a tennis ball and they're banging it back and forth yeah this may not go well no but you know fun to watch an amtrak train carrying members of congress and staff hit a truck near charlottesville virginia on wednesday morning the white house confirmed one fatality that was in the garbage truck and one serious injury at the scene no serious injuries among members of congress or their staff they were in a big train uh reports and those on the scene say that representative jason lewis uh, from Minnesota, hit his head and was taken to the hospital as part of a standard concussion protocol. UVA Medical Center tweeted that they have received five patients from the crash with one in critical condition. The train was carrying a congressional passengers to a Republican retreat at the Greenbi- Greenbrier Resort. Look this up, Matt. I looked it up last yeah. night. It's a nice place. Looks like a huge, like, I mean, it is... Super nice. It's Just nice. watch it. Maybe a vacation for you. Green yeah, buyer was Reso- other that out. Jeff Flake and uh, representative from Arizona and uh, representative Jan uh, Brad Winstrup of Ohio. Oh, yeah. Spring to action, opening doors, helping people. That's great. Um, let's see. Uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, Louisiana, is a physician. He was out helping people. His wife, I believe, is also a medical doctor of some kind. Uh, he, uh, there's a quote somewhere. I give you a story. We'll yeah. have it later for our hero of the day, where he's lifting the guy's legs. He goes, "I'm just trying to drain the blood back towards his heart." You know, you're like, "Whoa, Ooh. that's <laughs> kind of wow, a serious statement to make." So, but yeah, there were, people just jumped out, tried to that's help. That's pretty cool.
3: That's that's a that is a, um, a hero story at the highest levels of government. You know, you don't normally see
0: that. No, they could have just stayed on the train, and in fact, <laughs> they had to convince the people. On the train, the conductors and all those people, to let them off the train to help people. Uh, What's with the delay? We are in a hurry here. Secretary of Defense James Mattis is actively considering banning U.S. military and civilian personnel from bringing their personal cell phones to the Pentagon. That, this to, is a big deal. According to three U.S. defense officials familiar with the ongoing review of the issue, the official told CNN that while the issue is under review and a final decision has not been made, the recent rev- revelations that a fitness tracking app that maps people's exercise habits could pose security risk for U.S. troops has only underscored the need for this review. The official added that the review was ordered after Mattis expressed his intent to ban personal cell phones from the Pentagon. They've already banned them from the White House. Part of that's because... Uh, uh, what Chief of Staff Kelly, yeah. his phone was found to be compromised and broadcasting yeah. for quite a while, and they're not sure what was actually well, released, so they took that phone and got him a new one. It but sounds now,
3: like a no-brainer.
0: They're, you're walking around with a camera and a microphone. Everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, and you can put software on there so you can remotely turn those two items on and then record. Well, so. and if you
3: watch enough Netflix, a lot of bombs can be... No. Yeah. No. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's true. But also, uh, you go to any major like manufacturing company or any high tech company, they don't let you in with certain stuff because you'll,
0: they don't want their secrets getting out. Right. they Their proprietary. So information. it's about time. So we'll see where this goes. Um, and finally, according to a recent survey, more than forty percent of those under thirty-three, so millennials, yeah. uh, prioritize. And Jeff. And Jeff. I'm thirty-four. About to be 35, yeah. so I'm not a millennial. It depends on what years you're considering. But millennials, they, they consider Instagrammability when choosing their next holiday spot. The really? picture worthiness of a particular place beats other factors such as cost, local cuisine, and whether or not alcohol is freely available at a low cost. Huh. Instagrammability. Interestingly enough, sightseeing opportunity scores are the lowest. Priority on the millennial list is uh, is this evidence of millennial shallowness, and they're saying not necessarily. The desire to please or impress peers didn't begin with the advent of social media. Other factors to consider is what likes actually mean, so getting a like yeah. on a post. It's not necessarily a popularity contest. For some, plenty of Instagram likes are an indication that a decision is simply visually pleasing and desirable. For example, if someone who is isn't a, traveler, writer, a travel writer or a professional photographer gets plenty of likes on their Instagram photo of a destination, that's a pretty good indicator that they're in a, pre- a pretty spectacular spot. So it confirms to the person they made a right choice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Whereas if you take a spot of maybe where I go on vacation and no one's going to care, then maybe <laughs> I made a bad choice. I'm not sure. Others likely see Instagram travel suggestions as being simply more genuine than commercial travel packets or guides because they're just marketing material, yeah. right? This shouldn't come as much surprise. After all, the millennial generation is known for trusting peers more so than brands or celebrity endorsements. Whatever millennial motivation is, Instagram is certainly having an impact on travel destinations today. Uh, we, uh, What were once very remote destinations attracting only the most hardcore travelers are now being inundated with tourists. And for many, the goal is to capture that perfect Instagram-worthy shot, but also to go to someplace unique. Huh. Not go someplace where everybody else just went. Yeah. Even though by doing that, you're going to make that place a place where everybody else is going to go. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Instagram ability.
3: Thank you, Instagram. I guess. Because now I know where I need to go or where I should have gone.
0: Yeah. And where I shouldn't go. Yeah. That's why I don't know if this all tracks because most of it you look at it and you're like, oh, wow, I wish I would have done that. Yeah and then that 's the end of it because you know you have a job, yeah, then you got to get back to work
3: <laughs> <laughs> got to get back to work speaking of get, getting back to work uh, let 's get Jeff working now um, so many new headlines we 've got a, oh, a a live a live report from chick Shumway he 's on location
4: for a special report chick are you there thanks matt i 'm standing outside the House of Representatives chamber of the u s Capitol. And we're just hours away from hearing President Trump deliver his first State of the Union address. This uh, is an event that has been rife Schick. with controversy with Schick. many House Democrats uh, refusing Schick? to attend I, the I President's address. And we're also he's, getting reports that many others will be dressed the in black of the State to of the make Union? it clear they do not approve ago. of Mr. Yeah. Trump's current policies. Yeah, I'm risk. just going yeah, yeah, presidents him. Sta- drop him. Wow, so
3: um Shik was live uh breaking news, I guess, um on the state of the Union. Usually Which he's early happened two days ago yeah. this is This is not like him to be late. no, no, well, you know what uh, it, it kind of is <laughs> early or late doesn't matter. i mean he's he again missed totally missed the boat. Does he not read the news? State of the Union. He's he thinks it's tonight.
4: He's actually kind of a distant relative of of Don Chaline. so there there may be some nepotism there. Yeah. I don't I don't think we're getting rid of him anytime is he, soon. Is he, yeah, because of relative, he's here to stay.
3: Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Okay. Well, if Don wants
4: him, we'll keep him. Um, wow. Let's uh,
3: let's get to some other news or other headlines. Any other headlines that actually might be current that we could focus on?
4: I love this. I kind of wish I had this uh, item in my life. I think a lot of people would. Yeah. So there are these schools in Germany. You mentioned Germany. In fact, you're going to be speaking with uh, with your guest coming up here about- um, how, how, Germans how, yeah, how Germans raise their children. Yeah, how Germans raise their children. Yeah. Well, listen to how kids in Germany are dealt with. Okay. Wow. So there are schools in Germany that are asking hyper and naughty children to wear heavy sand-filled vests in a bid to keep them in their seats. What? Yeah. So it's – and this is actually (laughs) causing quite a bit of controversy. Yeah. they their sand vests, they weigh between 2.7 and 13 pounds – they're being used by 200 schools in the country, despite some parents criticizing them. And uh, schools say the vests are very effective at calming down hyper children and those with attention de- uh, deficit hyperactivity really? disorder. Yeah. Uh, they say it's a better way of tackling the problem than using drugs such as Ritalin. Uh, wow. Gerhild Duvall. Head of the inclusion unit at the Grumbrichstrasse School in, H- in Hamburg says children are never forced to wear the vests and are actually enjoying wearing them. She says the idea came about after seeing teachers in the U.S. use compression vests on autistic children and added that they actually help children concentrate better. Huh. Do you buy this?
3: Yeah, kind of.
4: Yeah? So one parent whose son has been wearing a four-pound sand vest at his school for the past three years, uh, and he's got ADHD, said her son doesn't mind wearing it. It's four pounds. Well, anywhere from three pounds to 13 pounds. But this one's four. Yeah, yeah. Psychiatrists are skeptical about the vests, saying they could be seen as a one-size-fits-all approach rather than focusing on a child's individual needs. Sure. Now, I don't. I don't think I have ADHD, and I I don't think I'm very hyper either. But sometimes I think a lot of people would love to have this vest to go to sleep, to oh, just yeah. have like do that you like a lot of blankets weight. on you. Well, lately I have because my heater hasn't <laughs> been working, freezing today. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of people would find this comforting. It's really interesting. Uh, do you know who Temple Grandin is? No. She was she she's still alive, I believe. She has. Autism, okay, and she created this device. She's really big into um, husbandry, right? Okay, animal yeah, husbandry. Animal husbandry. And she created this device that was for cows. Cows would go through this device, and it would calm them down before going to slaughter. She was she was okay with animals you know being processed for yeah, meat and, right. and consumption and all that but she was she was disappointed in the way that they were being treated prior to that. So she created this device that was a calming device. It would basically you'd put the cow in this device and these little uh, these little panels would just press their sides and they it calm. would calm the cow down. She would use this device on herself, too. And then she started conducting experiments with other roommates and other university students. And a lot of these students thought it was really calming,
3: too. It's like swaddling, probably. I mean,
4: some of this is there is comfort knowing you're
3: swaddled. Yeah. Unless it's not under your own
4: will. Right. (laughs) So that's where if you know, if you if you hold somebody down, they start to freak out. Yeah. But, but I mean, think about going to Costco and trying out those massage chairs because you're never oh, going to yeah. buy one of those, but no, you'll no. sit in one. Right. And the, the best part is the leg compressors. You put your legs in those things and it just squeezes your legs uh, and it feels amazing. So good. Something about being squashed that we
3: love. It, it does a body good. <laughs> that's interesting. It really is. That, that's interesting uh, research. Some, and by the way. There is no one-size-fits-all, but medicine's not one-size-fits-all either, yet that's what most people throw at ADHD. So interesting, you know, whatever. Let's learn. Let's keep figuring it out. Uh, Maybe Shik Shumway needs it, by the way. Maybe maybe he needs some swaddling. Maybe we need needs it on his head. Swatting more like it. Uh, okay, up next we're going to be talking uh, talking about uh, how the American mom might have some t- some powerful things to learn from the uh, German art of raising self reliant children. It's an interesting book. Straight ahead. <laughs> When should a parent step in to resolve problems that uh, their children are facing? Is there a fight uh, and should a parent step in? And when should the parent just allow the kids to work it out? Well, today's guest, Sarah Zasky, lived in Germany and witnesses um and witnessed there a different style of parenting. In her new book, Octune, um she reveals that today's Germans know something that American parents don't or perhaps have forgotten about raising kids with self-reliance and provides a practical uh, set of examples that American parents can use to give their children the freedom they need to grow responsible uh and to be independent adults. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today.
5: Oh, thank you for having me
3: on. This is, uh, I, th- I think, such an interesting topic as we, you know, I have six kids, and I've noticed that sometimes it's just easier for me to just get in and do everything. It's just so much faster. <laughs> but you you realize, as an American mom uh, living in Germany, that in Germany they do it differently.
5: Um, yes, they have a very strong value on Selbstständigkeit or self-reliance. So they teach their kids to do a lot of things on their own, um, even uh, cutting food at ages four and five um, and walking to school at, in second grade.
3: Wow. But now, that obviously means, Sarah, that a lot of German kids that have been cutting their food have probably lost fingers, lots of <laughs> cuts. I mean, it's, it, we're so afraid, I right, it's, right, of these little things. Yeah.
5: I think there have been lots of cuts. Um, <laughs> I have not heard about a lost finger yet. Okay, good. Whew. <laughs> but, but these are things that we used to do. Uh, you know, we got pocket knives back in the '70s right. and '80s, and for some reason, that that ethos has disappeared in America. Um, and I think it, that's a bad thing. Um, we should view our kids as capable and give them a chance to try things that. Uh, might be a little bit dangerous because eventually they have to learn how to do it sometime.
3: Well, and then every parent, well, yeah, oh, so you're going to let them cross the street? Well, no, but <laughs> we we can let them pick out their clothes and we can let them, you know, suffer the consequence.
5: Yes, absolutely. Um, for instance, I try to give my kids tasks at home that are about taking care of themselves. Like, I'll give them their own laundry hamper and they're in charge of washing their own clothes. So the natural consequence is if they don't do it, uh, they don't have any clean clothes. Mm-hmm. And there's no one to yell at. They can't yell at mom. <laughs> yep. But they, they have to take it on themselves and go, oh, I forgot to do that. I need to plan better.
3: Did you, when you, did you go to Germany thinking, oh, I'm going to see how they do it differently? Or did it just start dawning on you that your parenting style may have been different as an American?
5: Yes, I had no idea that the German style would be much different than mine. Most what I had in my head were stereotypes of Germans, you know, the stereotype that they're very strict and efficient and exacting. And when I went to a playground and saw, you know, a few adults there, but not really paying attention and, and kids, you know, running wild around the play structure, I was like, wow, this is something different <laughs> yeah. than what I'm used to in America. Isn't that
3: fun? And again, on the playground, where they're all running around, uh, I'm sure there were children that were maimed and injured all over the place.
5: No. No, it's they're just fact, having fun. Just having fun. And when things feel more dangerous, like there's a lot more height at the playgrounds in Germany, you have yeah. structures that are 15 even 20 feet tall, the kids tend to act in a more safe way or more careful way, because they know they could get hurt. And I think here we have these really safe little playgrounds, and kids are bored with them, so they try to do things that you're not supposed to do with them. That's true. <laughs> and that's when accidents can happen. Well,
3: and I guess, too, they, the kids here may know that, that their mom or dad is one second away from you know, preventing all danger. How do you think that that impacts them over, over their lifespan? How does, how does um, not allowing our children to, to kind of, you know, engage in life, how does it impede them as they grow?
5: Well, we all have to learn how to manage risk at some point. I mean, as a parent, I would love to be able to make the world 100% safe for my kids. Uh, but the reality is that life isn't like that, and there is danger out there, and eventually they're going to have to learn how to deal with it. And if we give them a chance to deal with risk and fear at a small, at a young age, and on things like playgrounds or um, trying a, a new route to school by themselves, or um, you know, learning how to manage a fire themselves, then we're giving them a, a trial run at dealing with risk. And I think that makes them feel capable and more confident as they're older. Versus the other way, if everyone's doing everything for you. Um, and then suddenly you're let loose at 18. That could be very overwhelming.
2: Oh yeah.
3: Um, do do you? I, I guess is this uniquely American, or is this is this a Western thing? What is it, and why is it? Do you think that it's happening? Why are we so afraid of of our child taking a risk?
5: That's a really good question. I've noticed that there's a similar feeling among English speaking cultures. Um, people from the UK and Australia said they have they have become a very safe culture and uh, very cautious with their kids. Um, I, there are many theories why this has happened. I think it's a, a combination of factors, and the, the very first one is we have a, a very exaggerated fear of child predators, mm. of people coming to kidnap our kids, and that A stranger coming to kidnap a kid is a very, very rare occurrence. It happens to about 100 times a year. We hear about other kidnappings, but they are usually a custody dispute. Yeah. Um, So that's a big thing, and our media plays it up and scares us all the time. Right. Um, And and the other thing is that uh, we are very concerned about our children's future success, so we tend to schedule them and direct them through their entire academic career, I'm basically kind of controlling almost every, every moment of their day because we want to make sure that they will go on to a great career.
2: Hmm.
3: I loved – I love. this sounds totally strange. I loved being a latchkey kid. I loved my mom working. My parents were divorced, and I loved being home alone. And it's almost like when you know she's like, hey, I'm going to take a day off, and we can hang out. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I've got so much to do, Mom. I've got to get back in the field. I mean, I learned the I learned how to take down my fence and back of my house so I could get my bike out into the field and and make a dirt bike racing track. I I learned all of these things that if my mother had been hovering over me, I probably never would have experienced.
5: Yes, I I had a childhood like that as well. Um, after school, we were sent out to play until dinner time. Yeah, and. Sometimes afterwards, till it got dark, and I think that time alone, or within the company of other kids, is really important because that's when you learn creativity, you learn how to solve problems. Um, if you're with other kids, you learn leadership and negotiation skills, and you don't get that if you're sitting at home, you know, doing homework or, or playing a video game.
3: Right. Um, what What do you see as? Do you still live in Germany, Sarah?
5: No, I'm actually in Idaho right now. Are
3: you really? Hey, yeah. that's a whole new book right there. Uh, <laughs> yes. What an American mom can learn from uh, raising your kids in Idaho. Um, talk about what you saw in Germany. What was a school day like in Germany and how did – how did, how, did, how did were the teachers different and how did they instill uh, a little bit more self-reliance?
5: Sure. I, I think one of the biggest differences I noticed right away because my kids were small – is that German kindergarten, and, you know, this is the land that invented kindergarten, um, is all about play. They don't have any um, structured learning for the alphabet or for pre-reading skills or math skills, no no worksheets. (laughs) And, you know, of course, as an American, that worried me a little bit. Um, But they told me the best things they can learn at that age is uh, social skills, creativity, leadership, and these are all things they learn through play with each other. Hmm. And that carried on a bit into elementary school. Uh, first grade was still a very short day. They had several what they call Hoffpose, uh which are like recess during the day as well. And there just there was some instruction, but it it wasn't so heavy as it is here. I mean, here they go to school from eight thirty to almost three o'clock in first grade with a lot of sitting still. And um, it, that was a very different in Germany.
2: Yeah.
3: Is yeah. Did did you see that making a difference on your child? How long were you there?
5: We were there for six and a half years. And I think, you know, initially I was a little nervous. And I even, you know, took my kids aside and taught them how to read English because well, I knew they at least would not get that in Germany. Um, but I, now I feel very grateful that they had that experience because they have a very solid foundation. Um, to start school. Uh, A lot of internal resources. They have an ability to concentrate. Uh, They found a lot of their own interests very young, because they had the opportunity to do projects of their own choosing in Mm. in kindergarten, and um, that carried on a little bit into elementary school. And, you know, I think they have a really good start. I, I wish that more American kids could have that experience as well.
3: Do do you see a downside to it? Was there anything there that you thought, "Oh yeah, maybe they maybe they let allow a little too much rope there."
5: <laughs> well, um I noticed a little lack of manners among German kids and some expats would complain that uh German kids were very rude. Huh. Um and I think that's because some German parents are so anti-authoritarian that they don't want to force their kids to say please and thank you and make sure that they, um, you know, respect people around them. So that's a little bit too far for me. Yeah. You know, I think it's pretty easy to explain to your child that it's to their own benefit to be polite. And, and they get it once they reach a certain age.
3: Did you see um, – th- there are other uh, articles out there that cite your work. Um, one talks about why you should let your kids fight as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know much about that? Talk about the German view of just kind of letting the kid – Letting the kids figure out life,
5: right? Uh, yes, in the kita, which is a daycare and mixed with kind of a kindergarten, so ages three to to six, they did not tend to interfere very quickly in children's fights. And in fact, you know, unless things were about to get really physical, yeah, <laughs> or um, it was ongoing, the teachers would let the kids work it out themselves and. The benefit, I guess, of this is that the kids ultimately will negotiate with each other because the urge to play with another kid is so strong um, that it makes them compromise. One thing a German principal, a key to principal, told me is she said you can't force a feeling. And that rings really true because yeah. when we force a child to say they're sorry, we know what we get, right? We get... I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> they, they don't really mean it. And the other child knows, right? Um, so that she's saying that's not very productive. The better thing to do is to ask the kid, you know, how would you feel if you were the other child?
6: You know, how do you
5: think that they feel right now? Um, and they don't always get it, but it's a longer process. But I saw that with my children, and uh, my daughter learned a lot from that process. So by the time she was in first grade, she was known as a peacemaker hmm. because she, she was very empathetic with the other children.
3: That's interesting because, too, I wonder what happens when we are trying to force our child to have this feeling. Do they then start to not trust their feelings? Like, and do they not tend to trust an apology because it's yeah. not real?
5: Yes, the kids always know, of yeah. course. Yeah. Or, or they learn to fake it for us you know, and there's no sincerity behind it. Little kids are very self-centered. That's just kind of the way we grow, and so they need some practice at um, trying to think from another person's perspective, and I think there's a lot of value in that versus, you know, taking a a heavy-handed approach and going in there and saying, I'm going to punish this child, and, you know, the other child is completely guilt-free. Uh, we don't always know as adults all the little ins and outs of what happened between those two kids.
3: Right. Um, any other insights that you had uh, while in Germany um, that, that has impacted your parenting?
5: Well, uh, the Germans are very open with their kids about a lot of subjects that we tend to hold back. And I saw that they, the kids are actually able to handle information that perhaps we. We think they aren't. For instance, um, my daughter had a project on death in school, and, um, which I thought was a bit shocking, mm. but as, as some Germans told me, you know, this is a huge part of life. They need to talk about it, and they see it all the time, you know, whether it's their pet in their home or perhaps an older relative, and they need to know that they can feel sad and grieve and recover, and... Um, that's made me a little more open with more difficult topics with my kids.
3: Oh, yeah. Boy, that's interesting stuff. Well, Sarah, I appreciate your time and your great insight. Uh, the name of the book is "Octum Baby, An American Mom on the German Art of Raising Self-Reliant Children. You can find out more about Sarah by going to com where you can get information on the book and all of her writing. She uh, does a lot of writing with some pretty major um, uh, organizations as well. So, Sarah, thank you, and all of us. We can all learn to uh, hopefully create a little more self-reliance in our children by simply controlling less, giving them some space. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, a little Coaches Corner right here on BYU Radio.
0: I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance.
4: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play
1: ball. Think
3: about the times in your life when you, as a child, felt most empowered, felt most um, free to grow, to learn. And, I mean, for me, it was building a fort in my backyard Again, my, my, uh, my mom would go to work. My parents were divorced. And I, again, to me, that wasn't an incredibly negative thing. I would go out. I'd have all summer to go play. I could watch a little TV in the morning, get ready, get dressed. My mom would call at home and make sure everyone's alive and doing well. And my sisters were babysitting me. But then I would just go play. And I'll remember, I mean, I totally remember building a fort. And it was an awesome fort, totally dangerous. Uh, I, I remember being having a nail go in me. I remember stepping in a, on a board that had a nail in it and it hurt. And I probably needed a tetanus shot and I didn't get it because I knew I would, uh, I, you know, I knew I'd probably need a tetanus shot. So I'll just kind of see if I lose my leg. I even remember worrying for a day. I might lose my leg. But you know what? Hey, it's worth it. The fort's almost done. So it was very empowering. I remember even finding stain that I could use to paint the fort and figuring it out. I remember the bugs infesting the fort, but I would just figure it out on my own. And um, I don't know what it did for me, except it just allowed me to see that I can do it and I can figure it out and I can use my curiosity and my creativity. Um, I also remember uh, at a little older age, my mom being willing to let me get on our roof and go fix our air conditioner. And when you're a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy climbing up on the roof to go fix the air conditioner, uh, that was pretty empowering. No other friend of mine was allowed to just get up on the roof and go take down the air conditioner and – or the air conditioning uh, pads and and figure it out. I was allowed to do that. And it was work. I had to clean it. I had to vacuum it. But man, I felt good as a 13-year-old. Yeah, I'm getting up on the roof today with permission. Interestingly, when I'd get up on the roof, all of my friends would want to get up on the roof and I'm like, yeah, you can't. Sorry. This is a serious responsibility. And so I wonder if we could just allow a little bit more risk, a little bit more uh, danger maybe, um, a little bit more freedom with our children. What What might happen? What might happen if we just allowed them to solve some of their own problems? If they happen to be the child that comes and talks to you about stuff, hey, dad, I'm really worried about this and this and this. What would that look like? Last night, I spent some time with my soon-to-be college uh, son when he graduates this year, and uh, we were doing – helping him with his um, scholarship applications and, and school applications. It's easy to just sit down and do it for him, um, especially you know when he throws it out to you at 10.30 at night. Hey, Dad, can you help me with this? So what are we doing with our kids and are we actually setting them up for success? And are and when you make the argument immediately that you're just trying to protect them, who really are you trying to protect? Is it really your child that you're so worried about that you would you know write all of their college essays? Is it your child that you're trying to protect when you do that or is it you? Is it your deep desire that they just – Go be successful and you can then be a successful parent. And is it too late at that point? I don't know. But I think we all need to be thinking about how we are going about raising our children and working with our kids. Are we giving them every single possible choice we can give them? I've told you before, uh, just the snacks that I I saw at church the other day looked like a tossed salad this kid was eating. Instead of it being gummy bears, um, the mother just brought cherry tomatoes, grapes, and cucumbers. Now, choose. Now, if I were the kid, I'd eat all the grapes. At that age, nope, he ate all the cherry tomatoes. Made a mess. Oh, he made a mess, but when he made his mess, the mom didn't clean up the mess. They just handed him a wipey, and a one-and-a-half-year-old kid started cleaning up his own mess. Can you believe that? And when one of the cucumbers got away from him and rolled you know, three rows back in church, the mother didn't get up in shame and embarrassment and go ah, grab the cucumber. She just opened the chairs and put the boy down, and the boy ran back and got his cucumber. There's life, there's consequences. Now, if we could just create a little space, and that's probably what parenting is about as a parent, is you might recognize a need for something, but what you might want to do is create a little space where you can let the child see the need and then allow the child in that space to go correct his own life and make his life better. And imagine what that would do for them later in life, in high school, when they start to create some space as a parent. For them to see that their grades aren't going so well or some space for them when they're realizing that they're not, you know, they're not you know, managing their use of their car very effectively and allow some of the consequences to happen. Sorry, you can't take the car to the dance because you got a ticket. We talked about it. Anyway, parents, we got to trust our kids more to grow up to, and, and, and allow their life to be theirs and allow their influences and their decisions to be theirs. And I think the sooner we can do it, all of us, uh, the the more likely you are to have a child that actually understands that life is about choices and about consequences. Interesting stuff, huh? Not an easy thing. Parenting is not for the weak in heart. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, parent to the highest level you can parent. Welcome back. That is the music that means it's time to uh, saunter on over to Jeff Simpson
4: and find out what's going on in the empty news barn. In your effort to declutter, have you ever accidentally given something away that had actual value? Yes. Yeah? I Do Did remember that... what it was? Uh,
3: no, I remember at a yard sale. Yeah, we, I can't remember, but we gave away a lot of stuff. Not when we sold it, but we sold it at, you know,
4: bargain basement prices. Someone in my house uh, gave away, I won't say who, gave away a book that we could have sold for about $100. But we didn't know at the time that we could have gotten that price for it. Well, I would bet that would be your wife. Don't jump to conclusions. Okay. Maybe you. So, um, it wasn't me, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) There's a Massachusetts couple that uh, had a donation to a local soup kitchen that may end up costing them thousands of dollars. Oh, boy. They gave away a fake can of soup that they used to hide their cash. Oh, no. So Amanda Mutuccio said on Friday her parents cleared out their soup cabinet a few weeks ago and only realized several weeks later they gave away the fake Campbell's tomato soup can. Come on. When they went to put some more money into the can, they realized it had been put in with the donations. It was kind of devastating. Oh, yeah. The fake can had had a bottom that unscrewed and contained $2,500 in it. And uh, they they said, I just hope whoever did find the money, if it has been found, that they see this and maybe find it in their heart to return it, which I think is odd because wasn't this – weren't these soup cans being donated to people in need? Yeah. So can you imagine somebody in need opening up the bottom of that can, pulling out $2,500 and saying, my prayers have been answered. It's a miracle. Finally, (laughs) things are looking up for me. And then uh, you're asked to give it back. Oh, but
3: that Can you imagine? Is, oh, and especially if you need that money. Yeah. But, you know,
4: what a gift. It's That's the gift that keeps on giving, the charity that never ends. See, hopefully it didn't end up in a soup because that would be a nasty soup. That would be. That would be. But, you know what? High in fiber.
3: High in fiber. Interesting stuff. Ah, boy. See, you're all charitable, and then sometimes it backfires. But hey, you'll be blessed from on high, I'm sure. We will uh, continue the journey, folks. Our goal is to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a
4: healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
4: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
4: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU
2: Radio.
6: BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of the program uh got the whole gang here. Terry and Jeff are locked and loaded, ready to go. And by the way, uh, if you missed our first two hours, because this is hour number three, you can go catch any of the old segments on iTunes, on Stitcher, byuradio.org.
4: Transmitting through Morse code. Yes, Morse code. Or
3: go to Tim your cans. Amazon Echo device and just ask Valexa to look up the Matt Townsend Show podcast, and it'll start playing us. And what a gift that will be. Hey, welcome to the program. So much to cover, so much to talk about. Uh, I guess we, we could get into the, this whole Nunez memo with mm. Donald Trump. One of the things about it is it's, there's this inherent, uh, I don't know, there's this spy factor that I think makes everybody intrigued. Like, what's going on behind the scenes? And what are the spies saying the problem is the spies don't like to be in the news. And now Nuñez, uh, who's a congressman, basically part of the investigation for the GOP Congress. Yes. And Schiff, who's the
0: uh, the Democratic On the it's the House Judiciary Committee. committee. And they're both the Republican and the oh. Democratic leaders of the committee.
3: And they wrote a memo and the memo is basically showing that there may have been some underhanded ways of getting access to a Trump Employee
0: wiretapping employee. They didn't tell the court where they got the warrant. All the information oh. about where the you know so
3: so there's it's there's the, palace the, intrigue the and biggest, it's not
0: even in the book. The yeah. biggest problem I have with it is there's so many so much backstory you have to know before you can understand no, what's
3: happening. That's it. I think that's why I always have you go in depth on and it. it's but purposely people, complicated I know, and it bores
4: people. Plus yeah. it's four pages long. Nobody's yeah. gonna. Get through four pages of a memo. You know it's only three and a half, and it's double spaced. <laughs> but this is—it creates a weird tension
3: now between even more tension between the president and the FBI and and all of the intelligence agencies. And now Congress is involved. And is everybody just using politics to mess up our national security? But now it's on President Trump's desk, and he's got to decide if he's
0: going to release it. And he said right after the State of the Union, he was caught on camera yeah. saying, hundred percent, we're releasing this." Oh, wow. This and could Chief get crazy. of Staff Kelly said pretty soon it's going to come out. <laughs> They've only
3: got 5 days apparently to There's do something with it. About
0: 3 2 to 3 of those days left. So Oh, heck. Maybe this is a pre-Super Bowl event. Well, instead of uh, should uh, do it during uh, halftime. No. During no, the halftime show. No, why it not? Should,
3: let's keep politics out of football this year.
2: No.
4: Oh.
3: Just so we can enjoy it. Don't you think?
4: I won't be watching, so it yeah, doesn't that matter to right. me. You'll be, actually
3: you'll actually be huddled in a mass in your living room trying to stay warm with your family. That's right. Oh, I feel bad for you. do you if you want to come over careful, come visit careful. bring your kids.
0: Don't come in okay. We'll let you sit by our fireplace. He may take you up on that.
3: we
4: I, I should mention we do have a fireplace, but unfortunately we're down to like the last two or three logs. Do you We've have just a couch? Burned through it all. Do you have a couch? Uh, yes, break it up.
3: up. start breaking it up. <laughs> Throw it in the fire. You, you've got to keep the kids warm. Do what you got to do.
4: Is it it wrong of me to want to hold my baby solely for the purpose of staying warm in my house? Uh It is. It's called selfish holding. Okay. Selfish holding. Mm -hmm. It's not healthy for Mm -hmm. anybody.
3: Hey, today, by the way, we're also going to be talking about willpower. Mm -hmm. And there is a psychology to willpower that you you need to assume that you have an abundance of willpower. Mm -hmm. And if you believe that, you actually will last longer in the day to make better decisions, which is interesting because in America, apparently, we don't think we we have a never-ending supply of willpower, but
0: in, in Europe, they do. Yesterday, mm-hmm. we had a woman on about dieting and how we should never really look at dieting as dieting. Mm-hmm. We should try to... She said willpower is our worst tool in the toolbox. Yeah. When interesting. When it comes to dieting, because at that point, you're putting whatever the temptation is in front of you and saying no just don't put it in front of you so she says willpower is the worst tool that we have for self-control especially
3: she was saying too because it's not about some of the reason you have diet problems isn't the will anymore it's flipping your body's messed up yeah because all your chemistry's (laughs) backwards you're exhausted and it's trying to just survive and your willpower's purpose is to help you survive so it should actually help you Eat junk
4: food if it thinks you're starving. Hmm. But this guy's saying we need to successfully lie to ourselves. Maybe we know we can do it. We lie to ourselves all the time. Or well, like, you just you not, he, he wouldn't use the word lie. I'm not going to finish this entire carton of ice cream. <laughs> no, oh. the
3: willpower would be you just you just assume. Hey, I can make great decisions at 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 12 p.m., one p one a.m. It's Three a.m., five a.m. Wrong.
6: Yeah, right. A Wrong.
3: We'll find out what he what he means, but the research the research does not lie. Hmm. Apparently, so we'll get to all of that fun straight ahead. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be focused on?
0: Representative Adam Schiff of California, top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. Interesting that David Nunez, is the top Republican, they're both from California. Whoa. It's always California. It's an an interstate squabble that's going Mm -hmm. on. So he's the uh, top Democrat on the committee. Wednesday said that the memo written by committee chairman representative David Nunez underwent material changes before it was sent to the White House for review. In a letter to Nunez, Schiff demanded that the committee withdraw the memo since this new version is not the same document shared with the entire House and on which the committee members voted. Ah. So this could be the new twist that keeps the memo from going public.
3: The twist. Well, it won't. I mean, it's just another iteration of crazy.
0: It's fun. <laughs> Robert, we talked about earlier Representative Trey Gowdy of South uh, Carolina, Chairman of the House Oversight Committee, announced Wednesday that he will not run for re-election in 2018. Gowdy has served as the representative for South Carolina's fourth congressional district since 2011 and rose to prominence as the head of the House Select Committee on Benghazi. Mm. If you remember him questioning Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah. And she... Answered the questions and we moved on. But with he's our like lives. the
3: best, like cross
0: examiner.
3: Oh, he's a Southern, South Carolina. You
0: commented many times. He's kind of walking you yeah. into the corner and then get you, and then yeah, you what? can see him oh. and and uh, other members have questions but they're not as direct and they don't seem to have a plan on what they're hoping to yeah. get to and he, he uses it's just yeah
3: he uses a lot of courtroom techniques in fact that's what he says he's going to do I'm getting I'm not I'm not for politics anymore I'm gonna go use all my talent and skills where I can use it best in the Justice Department or justice right. it, serving justice
0: and uh, we mentioned earlier and there's 46 members of the House both Republican and Democrat that will not run in 2018 they're just just step away. This is it's crazy. Not, it's not and fun anymore. Like two thirds of those are uh, Republicans. Well, it's never been fun so. to run, but it's it's got to be
2: weird
3: to have the Republicans in power and have this many bailing out. Yeah. Normally, it's when you're yeah. in power. What that might tell us is how sick the system is. Where it's only fun when you don't have power and you can just complain. Mm. <laughs> and and so not as many Democrats are leaving because they're having fun right now. Right.
0: Weird. Other news. America's missile defense system failed during a test Wednesday, CNN reports. The test of defense missile, uh, the defensive missile was supposed to shoot down a flying object meant to intimidate an intercontinental ballistic missile. What? It's no easy feat. One of the missile's developers, uh, Raytheon, compares it to intercepting a bullet with another bullet. Still, the test failed, and now it looks. are we possibly vulnerable for incoming missiles Mm. now that our systems don't work? Now, hold on. Wasn't there a superhero or somebody like Lone
3: Ranger that intercepted a bullet with a bullet? Superman was faster than a speeding bullet. No, but like some gunman shot a bullet out of the air. I'm sure
0: it's folklore. Hmm. I I hope. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Or someone tried it. Okay. That's crazy. Maybe you get one shot at that, right? Yeah. Uh, a former reality TV star, his name is President Donald Trump. Oh, oh yeah, him. Oh, is he still being called he's, that? He's always been big about ratings. Mm-hmm. Right? And he was talking oh, how about how did the, the ratings go? For the uh, State of the Union, Nielsen estimates 45.6 million viewers watched the State of the Union on 12 broadcast wow. and cable networks, well above the number of people who watched his inauguration, only 30 million. Well, Hmm. says Uh, who? Yeah. That number down uh, 2 million from his joint address to Congress last year. It had 47 million. You're wrong. Um, So, but it, uh, let's see here. It goes down from 2 million. Also, not as high as former President Obama's first address to Congress and State of the Union. He had 52 million viewers in 2009 and 48 in 2010. Wrong. I'll see. You had to play, they have to always play it against Obama. Sure. And then this morning, he said he thanked all the supporters for the biggest audience ever to watch a State of the Union. Yeah. That was at 7.02. At 7.42, Fox News put out the actual numbers. And, of course, didn't he, have he just a, reported it. Didn't
4: so. he have a 20-minute standing ovation at the end of the State of the Union? I, I don't know. I think it just felt it like keeps that. getting longer.
3: Yeah. I, th- I heard he had the... Longest standing ovation in the history of all presidents. I think he ever. said. I think he said in wow. the history
0: of humans. Yeah. Wow. Recorded history. Uh, YouTube. A variety is reporting that YouTube TV has secured exclusive rights to game uh, to games with the new Major League Soccer team in Los Angeles, marking the first time a streaming service of any kind has made such a deal with a U.S. pro sports team. Wow. No, so L.A.
3: is so, going to have two pro soccer teams.
0: Yes. This one will be called the uh, Los Angeles Football Club. Wow. you got to work on that name. Versus the L.A. Galaxy, who's the other team. But YouTube TV will also have naming rights on the jerseys for the team, and that'll begin in March. The team owners of that team include Magic Johnson and Will Ferrell. Oh, boy. other people. But it's just this idea that... Over the next few years, Amazon's going to start maybe yeah, jumping the into future. the fray, and we'll start seeing TV pulled off of traditional sources, and maybe you're watching it next well, to your you know paper towels that you just bought. Well, and
3: now you'll watch it as a fanatic of your own team. So this is this team's buying or giving these rights, right? Mm-hmm. Not the league. So the league will have their games of the week and yeah. stuff, but they but can do whatever all the they behind want behind the local scenes coverage. with this team. That's pretty neat.
0: Yeah. So kind of changing the way we're interacting with our. Our television and entertainment as these services go forward. Also yeah. YouTube T V is a pay service. Okay. So you gotta purchase that. So, so we'll see if we'll see how that works. Buys it. And we've been talking about, you know, Democrats, Republicans, a lot of controversy going there, rivals yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Another there's another two groups out there that are, are fighting. Tea Party? And one of them, no, that's a Republican. Okay. With, you know. Well it's a Kind of. It's anyway. sort of a group. Yeah. So, <laughs> as, as they're going along, DC comics fans and Marvel comics fans. Oh, Ooh, yeah. They're fighting. So, it's just under a month before Black Panthers in theaters. That's the next Marvel Universe movie. Okay, so that's from the Marvel side. Angry DC Universe fans are turning their sights on the films with hope of destroying its Rotten Tomatoes score.
3: Oh boy. Also spoiling this is getting ugly
0: Spoiling the movie For fans online So although many Are excited for the film uh, Fandango pre-sales Say it's higher Than any other Superhero flick ever Really? Hmm They have my money uh, Some are frustrated At the f- uh, forthcoming release DC fans are notorious For voicing their anger All the petitions yeah, About t- yeah. t- taking down Their own movies They're saying That Marvel films Have a uh, The ratings and critics Have a bias Towards Marvel films because they're it's marvelous. probably true. Marvelous. And that, that makes their movies not get as hey, rated as just high for and all those, that.
3: Just for those listeners that actually have a life yeah. and aren't into this, <laughs> yeah. uh, give me just a quick rundown of Marvel. Who are the Marvel standouts?
0: Like Captain America, Iron Man, the Hulk. Okay, the cool ones. Yeah, yeah. And
3: then who are the DC
0: ones? Batman, Batman. Superman, Wonder Woman. Ah, uh, wow. Those are cool, too. Yeah. So, um, so there's a Facebook page okay. called Give Black Panther a Rotten Audience Score uh, on
4: Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, so kind of they're tampering on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So what they're trying to do
0: is, you have the Rotten Tomatoes score, which is from the critics, and they have an audience score. So they're trying to tank the audience yeah. score to make people not see the movie.
4: I think audiences tampered with the score for Star Wars: The Last Jedi, as they pointed out in the article. Yes. they do so.
0: They this that be- also.
3: This is gonna, this is leading up to the, a great war between all of these
0: people. Which would be good, because then they could combine the two universes. But there would would have to be be a business deal done first. Well, sure. It's all money. Wow. So then the question is, does Iron Man stand a chance against Superman? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What? You just shoot him with kryptonite. About a thousand
3: kryptonite pellets.
0: Does kryptonite exist in the Marvel Universe? It doesn't matter. It how would they get a Superman hold of magic. such things? You
4: well, meant in a fight. I thought you meant on the screen. Well, Iron Man's going to beat Superman box, box office-wise every time. They
0: wouldn't put a movie together and not have them fight. That's the whole point.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But well, when they
0: run out of ideas, all the heroes fight each other. That's how it works. I've got 10 comic books at home to prove that. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of fighting each other.
4: Oh, okay.
3: This is a transition? <laughs> I'm trying to get away. Uh, apparently, coffee... If you're a coffee drinker, listen up. It may come with a cancer warning in California. What? Is it a carcinogen? Apparently. Mm-hmm. California coffee, coffee shops may soon be forced, according to CNN, uh, to warn customers about possible cancer risk that's linked to the morning jolt of Java. The state keeps a list of chemicals that it considers possible causes of cancer. One of them
4: is acrylamide, and it is created when coffee beans are roasted. Hmm. Do you think people know that putting this boiling, lava-hot substance in their body is not good for them, and also the fact that no. they can't stop drinking it? Because many would
3: say, no, it's it's great for you. Hmm. So the problem is acrylamide, uh, there's been a lawsuit filed in Los Angeles, Superior Court in 2010, a nonprofit uh, council for education and research on toxics targets several companies that sell coffee, including Starbucks, 7-Eleven and BP. And they say that these people failed to provide clear and reasonable warning that drinking coffee could expose people to acrylamide.
4: So almost like the Surgeon General warning on the pack of cigarettes. That's right. Now, where does this end, though? I mean, coffee's bad, obviously, if it's
3: got acrylamide and probably other chemicals in it. However, what about all these other
0: drinks that – or not even drinks? What about just, I don't know, fruit snacks? Apparently, they have these warnings all over California because of the legislation that's gone through. So you go to the city park and they put up a warning because they might use a product on the grass that – could cause it if you like ingest five bags of it but they have to put it out there if they use it mm. that kind of thing mm-hmm. so it's it's on the extreme level of caution
4: yeah i think it would be a little annoying i get annoyed with myself sometimes when i find myself micromanaging the things that my kids do oh don't touch that don't touch that oh, put Acry-
3: that down hey put the acrylamide uh, down
4: you're a little too close to the fireplace yeah i
3: see that all the time in you Can I borrow your toothbrush, son? I've got to go
4: scrub the burner on our Hey, now.
3: Hey, now. And then you threw the toothbrush away after you broke the burner igniter.
4: We may or may not have used it again for a different oral reason. Acrylamide. Wow. I'm
3: worried. Yeah. Uh, Because, A, he almost killed himself Mm -hmm. via electrocution. That was – a, like a year ago. Well, for those that don't remember your near death experience, you pulled you you had a spare plug to a dryer that mm-hmm. wasn't connected to the dryer. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to test out if it would fit and you plugged it in.
4: Right. You made a comment yesterday on the show where you said women find it more attractive for you to earn enough money that you can hire somebody else to fix things for you to be handy rather than you being handy yourself. My wife uh, didn't agree with that assessment, but maybe now that we've reminded her that I almost died. Yeah. Let's not ask your wife. Let's ask your daughter what
3: it felt like for her to watch her dad shot across the room. (laughs)
4: Let's just
3: ask her how she felt about that. I remember when we almost lost father. Those are good those are good memories I mean I don't want to
4: bring up a bad point in your life,
3: but I feel for your daughter
4: We didn't get your take on that would you find it annoying if there was a warning listed on everything um, would I find it annoying don't pick up this paper well, because there's a
3: risk of a paper cut an infection and then yeah you'll start losing your skin. you will die uh, yeah it's a little yeah. extreme, I know. On but... the extreme, I, I, it would, I it would bug me. But the bigger question, would it stop me? That's a good point. Right? Is this going to stop any of those coffee, coffee so drinkers? Much, yeah. I don't think it's going to stop many coffee drinkers. You, I mean, you can't stop. When somebody needs caffeine in their body, you're not stopping them. Mm-hmm. And think of it. I mean, what they ought to do, though, is make it healthier, I guess. I don't know. And there's got to be worse chemicals or the exact same kind of – nasty chemicals in everything we're eating and drinking. And when does this end? Now our kids will be eating gummy bears and finding out that they could die.
4: Mom, what's a carcinogen? See, that's one of those things where it's uh, I'll just, I'll take the consequences. This remember, gummy bear's good. I
3: remember Timmy's first word was carcinogen. <laughs> it's just not, it's not what we always want, is it? Alright, well we are going to uh, head now to go talk willpower. And is the key to willpower Believing that you have it in abundance, according to our next guest, it is, and uh, we're going to unravel the mystery straight ahead.
2: Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling.
3: Welcome back, friends. Uh, a little journey for you. And you, you, you got to listen because you can't stop believing, especially in your willpower and your abundance of willpower that you have. According to our next guest, willpower is an essential uh, key to a well-balanced life. You need to think critically. Uh, you need to stick with a problem until you solve it. And in regular uh, daily life, those are the mantras, right? you got to stick to the task till it sticks to you. Well, the key to all of this is if you believe you have willpower in abundance. Here to talk with us today about infinite resource of willpower is Chris Napolitano, an associate professor of educational psychology from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And uh, Chris, thank you so much for being with us and taking your time.
7: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk
3: to you. Now, now help me with this, because I have heard through and had people on the show interviewing them where they've talked about willpower is kind of a scarce resource in that it it demands energy. And as energy depletes, uh, your ability to make better decisions depletes with it. But you're talking about the fact that uh, willpower is really an abundant
1: resource.
7: Yeah. So uh, what you bring up, I believe, is what's called the strength model of self-control. Very popular theory uh, in psychology based around the work of Roy Baumeister. And you described it pretty well, that uh, his work with uh, his colleagues suggests that, yes, willpower is a depletable resource. When you do something that's taxing on your self-control, the next t- task you have to do um, you're in trouble. Your yeah. self-control resource has depleted, and if you you know, you know watch those commercials on TV, you need a Snickers or something like that. <laughs> now, in our work, we take a look at what's called implicit theories. And so what implicit theories are are people's own lay ideas about how the world works and how they develop and um, what hmm. works for them. And so one... Implicit theory that's important to this is the implicit theory of willpower. So we believe that some people, without even mentioning it, think like Roy Baumeister and the strength model that if they do something that requires self-control, they're gonna run out of self-control. They huh. gotta take a break, and next time they'll be uh, in trouble. Yeah. However, other folks think the opposite: that when they work on something that's uh, taxing on their self-control, it's energizing. Interesting. And so. So it's more what
3: you – it's kind of uh, – with implicit theories, it's it's inherent in every thought is, is – um, or, uh, I guess, paradigm you have are are going to be implicit um, actions and feelings and results that will flow that's,
7: that's from it. W- yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So another um, – this is work that I did with my, my colleague Veronica Yobe, uh, who's at the Technical University of Dresden. She did this implicit theory work with Carol Dweck. And you may be familiar with Carol Dweck's research. Growth mindset. uh, Growth mindset, bingo. And so that's an implicit theory of intelligence. Hmm. So some folks have the implicit theory that you're born with a set level of smart. You know, you're good at algebra, you're bad at it. And other folks have this growth mindset. And so in in Carol Dweck's work, they have endeavored to, uh, you know, adjust or change people's mindset. And the work that we'll be talking about today is is a um another foray into trying to change people's thoughts about willpower
3: oh awesome, okay now I get it I'm liking cool. it i now because it, yeah it's just a different approach um but there's amazing data about how um how we see our willpower here in the u s versus those in europe
2: mm.
7: yeah so um without horribly boring your audience, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about how, how this paper works. So Veronica Yob, my colleague, collected data for, for years from samples in the States, from samples in Germany and Switzerland, where we both worked. And what this paper is all about is testing whether our measures, our questionnaire items, measure what we think they do, right. measure this implicit theory of willpower. And it's it's a long, boring process, even for me sometimes, <laughs> but in the end, what you end up with is um, some confidence that, yeah, these items work, they measure what they're supposed to, and they do so efficiently. And when you make that step, that this is called invariance testing, when you do that, then you're able to confidently make these group comparisons. And so we had all this data from Swiss and Germans, we had all this data from Americans, And what we found is, at least in our samples, that Americans had more of this limited theory of willpower. They thought they needed a Snickers. Hmm. Um, Not that Snickers is, you know, your your sponsor for today. Right. um, They they, they thought they needed a break, whereas the the German and Swiss samples that we had, um, they thought, you know, this this taxing uh, activity gets me excited, gets me energized.
3: That's fascinating. And so if Americans tend to think that, uh, yeah, I've only got so much of this willpower, so when I'm done, I either need to somehow amp up and get more energy to do it, or I'll just wait until tomorrow to do it, how does that actually impact us long term?
7: It's a great question. So Veronica has done um, some really interesting work in the last few years about this question, and what she's done um, work on is uh, students' behaviors. So students, like adults, you know, you're faced with a series of these taxing tasks. So you've got to study for algebra, then you study for trig, then you study for English, then you study for this and that. And so the idea here, a criticism of our work, was that if a person has this non-limited theory of willpower, then they'll spend all of their willpower, they'll exhaust themselves. And so what she's actually shown is rather the opposite, that when people have this non-limited theory, students in her case, they actually self-regulate better. So students don't procrastinate. They make healthier eating decisions. They um, spend less impulsively. And most importantly for students, they do better in their classes. Hmm. So there are some long-term impacts, but it's interesting to think, um, as Americans, what um, having this limited theory means for us in our everyday, maybe consumer behaviors. So we're kind of told this, that we need breaks, and we have this culture of breaks. We have nap time <laughs> in kindergarten, for example. So I'm not you know, proposing a, a cultural revolution when it comes to willpower, but we do have evidence to suggest that having this non-limited theory matters. It helps us in the long term and in the short term.
3: Absolutely. Again, we're speaking with Chris Napolitano, who's an associate professor of educational psychology from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And um, he's walking us through some of his work on the the fact that the key to willpower lies in believing you have it in abundance. In a, um, it, It's interesting. It's almost like we would then, if we have a kind of a fixed mindset about how much we have versus... Kind of an abundant mindset about our willpower, we might actually use willpower as an excuse, an out for why we don't do certain things.
7: It's a great, yes, it's, a, it's a, uh, a great insight. And so, we think that they that may be uh, happening in those student samples that I mentioned, where the students who think that they have this limited willpower, they say, you know, I, I studied for an hour, now I get you know thirty minutes to Snapchat or Instagram. Um, so, so these. These excuses as you, as you pointed out of this out that may be a reason for um, lower performance, however we measure
3: it interesting and I guess too uh, your your um, your partner in the research basically found that if you have this abundance view of willpower, you actually just regulate more you you you, you don't have an excuse to not keep working you just would have to regulate it and amp it up when you need it and and not when you don't but you'd still probably apparently get more done you don't procrastinate as much you do better in your classes is how do you end up going about chris and shifting an entire population to uh, a paradigm of abundance in
7: willpower it's a great question so i'll start by talking about how uh, veronica has done it in her research with her samples And then I guess we'll get into what interventions at maybe school levels might look like. So at the the lab-based level where she brought people into a lab or she had people doing online studies, sometimes the the way to change people's views on willpower was as simple as just saying it. So I imagine for some of your listeners, this is not even something they considered, that they had a a non-limited willpower. Doing something like your taxes or bills or grocery shopping could actually energize you for future tasks. And so sometimes these little nudges or these little suggestions have some influence in people's implicit theory of willpower in the lab. Now, the question is, do those little nudges translate? Do they transfer? Are they long-lasting? And that's the question for the next decade of research, which is, what do we do? Um, you know, probably, if you ask me today in 2018, a simple nudge isn't enough. Um, rather, people need to experience the, the benefits of having this mindset, seeing, "You know what? I can do my bills, and then I can clean the house, and I still feel energized. I have more willpower than I thought I did. These implicit theories, you know, even though we can nudge them in the lab. Um, and other folks have done similar work, it doesn't mean that we change them permanently. And so that that's a big uh, task and something that certainly excites Veronica doing her work in Dresden and exciting for me, too.
3: Well, it's – no, but it's, it's so interesting and perfect timing because last night my son about 1030 at night said, Hey, Dad, help me with my um, – will you help me with my um... – what are they called? Uh, with the questions that I need to answer and submit to get accepted into college and universities. He mm-hmm. has all these mm-hmm. essays. Can you mm-hmm. just look them over? And I'm like, ah, no, mm-hmm. I don't have energy. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm out of energy. But I yep. I had to be there. I had to, I, I, I wanted to be there and be a part of it. So yep. I did. By the way, in the middle of the whole thing, I started getting into it. And yep. a weird thing happened. I started getting energy. And mm-hmm. what it was probably was focus and passion and excitement and and I found it, so it, it, it validates I mean that's not that's folklorish, but it validates mm-hmm. this point. Um I I guess too in the end, um, but it also it it makes me feel like there there's there's this hope for all of these people that are sitting there thinking that they're they're low on energy, they're out of hope, they have no clue, they don't know what they want, they have no passion, life is boring. Mm-hmm. This brings I think a lot of hope,
7: yeah yeah it, it it certainly can, and I think you know what's 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 interesting about um, this research is really we don't quite know what exactly is is happening psychologically that has folks with a limited theory feel this this lack of hope or lack of passion, and folks who have a non limited theory feel something something more opposite, and so one proposed mechanism that Veronica has is that people who have this non limited theory they're more sensitive to the cues that they're exhausted,
2: hmm. so
7: the example that that you gave with with your son and working on these these college essays you know maybe you you if you had that theory, maybe your eyes were drooping, yeah, or you started yawning or you you know you looked at the clock and I' oh my gosh ten thirty so um it may be um, working towards these these underlying psychological processes, but but you're exactly right that this this does provide a lot of hope. Just like Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset, mm. it's something that that we can think about. Of course, in conjunction with with you know environmental interventions, better schools, better teachers, better subject material, but um, you know people are the producers of their development; they're not simply the product. We yeah. we make our development.
3: And then are you? Our, uh, are you familiar with they Elaine don't. Aaron's work on high sensitivity?
7: No, remind me.
3: Well so because one of the things she's talking and I, I'm a big proponent of it because I am a high sensitive, meaning I feel like I, I pick up a lot of information and a lot and her, her premise basically is is that certain, certain humans and animals are more prone to pick up information and data, smells mm-hmm. bother them more sound bothers them, more light bothers them more, and their body has to process it and what she she believes is that the higher sensitives tend to actually then create more anxiety in their life which is maybe the precursor to anxiety um, but it might be fascinating to see if i am more sensitive and i do pick up and detect when i'm tired and the cues that i'm tired i would actually love to buy into this idea that i have fixed i have fixed ability and willpower
7: yeah that that's a great i mean that i think i think you you've written our next paper for there's me, your new so paper that, for you. get yeah. on that <laughs>
3: <laughs> but it's That's so true. You know. And and then it, it, those would be the same people that would also be more depressed, more um more maybe sensing they're not as passionate. But then mm-hmm. interestingly, as a high sensitive, when I got into the activity and could find and sense the power and the excitement again, it lit me mm-hmm. up and started to drive me again.
7: Yeah, I mean, these you know, it's what's interesting is that this this um this these self-perpetuating ideas that you mentioned Whether fortunately or not, they go in both directions. Yeah. So, you know, we've all had these experiences where you you get a string of successes, and, I mean, you've got the momentum, and you can really take on the world. And we've all had the opposite, too. This works with willpower. It works when it comes to uh, anxiety, like you mentioned. And so um, one of the things that that Veronica would like to do, and and hopefully me in collaboration with her— is continue to study these willpower concepts longitudinally, Mm. so move beyond simply in the lab or doing uh, several-month studies of students, but really track how this develops over time. You know, when do people—I mentioned kindergartners uh, having nap time. Um, Is that (laughs) when— Is that the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. You know, indoctrinates this idea. Uh, I don't know enough about preschools or kindergartens around the world to know how how they differ, but— Hey, it could be um, some places in Europe, they they don't have nap time. They move on from task to task to task. So this kind of research is fascinating. And anyone who's listening, I would love to work with you on projects like that.
3: That's powerful. What would you suggest? I always like to ask the one thing for the, the listener out there that's sitting there thinking, yeah, okay, I really want to start to forge this mindset in me today. Is there one thing they could do today that would make him become a more abundant viewer
7: of their willpower? You know, I think when you're faced with this task, that one of the prototypical ones is doing your bills. I can't imagine a time where I've ever told myself doing my bills is energizing. It's exciting. <laughs> you know, it does not compute. You know, my bills are typically in the the red direction, not the green direction. So. <laughs> Imagine um, just for a moment, and it might sound silly, but when you're faced with a task like doing your bills or cleaning up after the kids or doing the dishes, to say, you know what, this is going to get me ready for the next challenge. I can do this, and maybe I can do the next thing too. Yeah,
3: that's powerful. That's great stuff. Wow, so much to uh, so much to learn, and so much to really believe in. It is powerful to know that uh, how you view willpower deeply impacts what you do with your willpower and how you feel it. Chris Napolitano, thank you so much for your great work there, and uh, keep it up there at uh, the University of Illinois at Urbana Champaign. So much for all of us to learn. Hey, let's keep the learning alive. Up next, our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us to help us understand their show and what we can all be expecting. back friends. Yes. With that music, it's time to boogie on down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem. hello gentlemen. Hi. What's <laughs> up, Matt? How you doing? Solid. Better now. Solid as a rock.
2: Solid as a rock.
3: Oh, I knew it. I knew if I'd set you up like that, you'd you'd break into I'd song.
1: I like
8: it. I was hoping you'd go into the old Chevy commercial jingle.
1: <laughs> rock. Yep oh like a rock
3: (laughs) oh man that's the one man that's the
1: one you the one
3: you guys have a lot of soul have i told you that really we're
1: you know where we're from yeah
3: (laughs) but i mean you know
1: do you know the demo we represent
3: (laughs) yeah but hey those demos have soul but you i don't know you can bring it out have you guys ever like been in a blues band or anything like that well, no, Lauren McLean's in a band. She's- we oh, have no. been yeah. called
8: a dynamic duo compared to the Blues Brothers. So,
3: really, no. Okay, I was wondering who said <laughs> All I that. I wanted
1: some chicken wire and for dudes to not throw beer bottles through
3: it. <laughs> no, Lauren McLean. She's got some pipes, and in when the karaoke thing that you guys did, she was definitely the highlight.
1: Yeah, she was great.
3: You know what I mean? I mean, not that you guys weren't great, because you do have soul. Uh, well, I had a cold, Matt. Yeah. But that was neat. That made you a baritone. So it was amazing that I could even do anything. (laughs) You sound like you've been offended. (laughs) Have I offended you? (laughs) Permanently. Okay. Man, I didn't mean to offend. (laughs) Hey, uh, I don't know if you guys heard the big news. LeBron is now open to free agent talks with the Warriors.
8: I've already seen the meme of him wearing a Warriors jersey.
3: Come on. We were talking in studio here. How much ego can one team handle? That seems like that would just tip it all over. You know, it's like a barrel of monkeys that when you play the barrel of monkeys games and it gets too heavy and it just all tips over.
8: It would be the super team, but they would have to get rid of somebody. So who would they get
1: rid of? Draymond Green, just Draymond by position, maybe. Listen, one that ain't happening. Okay. Two, that would damage his legacy. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too too easy. easy. Way too easy. That's too easy. And
3: too much money. There's yeah. Okay. Where would you go? And this
8: is a question for both Jerem and Matt. Yeah. Oh, it's Where easy. Where would you go if you were LeBron James?
3: Utah Jazz. <laughs> Utah has you so much win, to offer. Like. Utah has so much to offer LeBron, including new uniforms. It's a no-brainer. It's or very
8: similar to Akron, Ohio. Oklahoma said he already has a big three.
3: Yeah, no. He's Houston got a, already has long. a big three. It's going to be the Clippers. They want maybe him, right?
8: San Antonio.
3: Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. That Can you imagine cool. Kawhi Leonard oh, man. and LeBron James together? They would be dominant. And coach, what's the coach's
1: name? Not even the, Popovich? That's not even the best team in the West.
3: No. But
1: they not would.
8: right now, but if LeBron James joins them, all know. of a sudden they hop into the conversation. Right, yeah.
1: but they're still not better than the Warriors. The Warriors are the—like, Le, listen, LeBron's—where's where, the LeBron-tourage going to go? <laughs> and who's I, going to join him? Because he needs— Another big star to join him to really compete. He's going to the Clippers.
8: Manu Ginobili's already in San Antonio, Manu Ginobili
1: should have retired last year. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Whatever, that dude can still ball, man. He's an
3: Argentine. Don't mess with Argentines. I have a close affinity for them. We're we're besties. I live there.
8: Did you have a mission trip in Argentina?
3: I served a mission trip in Argentina for two years.
1: (laughs) Did you serve or did you just go?
3: I, I went and celebrated the culture and food of Argentina.
1: I was like when when people uh, mentioned like in someone's job like oh they served as the offensive coordinator I'm like yeah no it wasn't service they got no. paid Sorry. it was a nightmare it was
3: the hardest thing of it all day.
8: <laughs> hey no wonder you're so familiar with meat sweats and you bring them up so often exactly because
3: they have asados and they make the best food in the world and I know I can sweat meat better than anybody. family <laughs> I? Uh, I know totally a little personal. Um, Okay, so here's the deal. I don't know if you guys heard this, but the Cougars are playing a game tonight mm-hmm. against L- – <laughs> Whoa. Somebody's got a cold, it sounds like, clearing their Cougar throat. Um, who's going to win the game tonight? I'm, you know, they're playing Loyola, right?
1: It's BYU by 9.5. The Cougars have trailed by 18 in each of the last two trips at oh, Gersten Pavilion. Come on! So it makes you wonder, right? Yeah, uh, totally. Th- this was a, a tricky second half for BYU, a second half that BYU lost – in Provo, but BYU ended up winning the first matchup by what, fifteen? I think. Mm. Yes, um, and you
8: said seventeen plus. Remember?
1: Seventeen plus, and it was fifteen. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think BYU wins this game, but I think it might be closer than we think, brother.
8: Typically, BYU struggles in that gym.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's some Listen,
1: gyms. The 328 fans that show up for LMU, they get, they create a ruckus, man. Hey,
8: hey now, it'll be 428. Hey
1: now, hey now.
3: <laughs> it's the underwhelm. See, you go in thinking there's going to be a lot of intense, yeah. noise, and you get there, and it's just, it sounds it's like, like a, a bad church, AAU yeah. Game. It's like a sacrament you meeting. Know,
8: Dave Rose said something interesting. He said sometimes it's really hard to get my teams excited when there's no energy in the gym.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you have to. Uh... That's why. It, that, that's the difference with the West Coast Conference. It's not the gym sizes. It's that most of these places don't pack the house. Okay, St. Mary's and Gonzaga. Those are fantastic.
8: It's it's not hard but, to be energized than but the
1: other venues. Those venues, yeah. they don't have great home crowds. Like when BYU goes to Portland, it's, yeah, it's Pacific, two or three times. Right. BYU fans were yeah. Stockton, like the lighting stinks. <laughs> LMU, nobody's there. Yeah. You know, BYU didn't have this when they'd go to the pit. In right. New Mexico, oh, no, even at Colorado intense. State or Air Force, right.
8: Firestone Fieldhouse, where BYU has lost how many in a row, Jerem?
1: Four, this four is in easy. a row
8: against
3: Pepperdine. This is easy to fix, though, right? You just got to do a little Bobby Knight, throw a chair across the stadium, something. across the court, something.
1: It's just you listen, just... listen. We have three people, maybe four in the studio with us, yet we're bringing the energy every day. Yeah, we need to just suck it up. And take it on the road. Let's go. And interestingly, come
3: interestingly, I've been in your studio, and the funny thing about the other four, none of them have energy because you guys have sucked it all out of the room. You guys well, someone's
1: like, got to suck it up, like I said. Your Energizer
3: bunnies. <laughs> uh, what's on your show today? We are discussing why we love LA, Matt. Oh, really?
8: Just like Randy Newman.
1: Did we listen to Randy Newman this morning? Are all of his hits? Absolutely. we did? Almost all of his hits from Disney movies? Yes. We're discussing
8: the best player in the West Coast Conference and the second best player (gasps) in the West Coast Conference. Wow. Is it that clear cut, Matt?
1: Yes. Is it?
8: No.
3: No.
1: No, yes. Plus Preston Hadley, the newest hire for BYU football. He's going to coach the safeties. He used to play here. Now he's back. What are his plans with the safeties? We'll ask him.
3: Cool. That's a perfect show, Groundhog Day Eve. Groundhog, I, I didn't know you guys were celebrating that <laughs> Groundhog Day Eve.
1: You know what we're not going to do tomorrow that I've wanted to do every year? What? I sell this every year. I say, hey, in one of the blocks, can we do what we did the previous block? And exactly. Try and do it word for word. Yes.
3: That's what we're and doing. It
1: ne- it's never taken. That idea no. is never taken. So you know what? I'm launching it out there publicly. We do
3: it on my show every year.
1: <laughs> I just think it'd be funny if we tried to do that. Yeah.
3: It just great. makes it a, a lot. We, we don't even we just replay the exact first hour. We should
8: hour. just air a segment Is from, it too early for flapjacks? We should, <laughs> we should just air the opening segment from last year's February <laughs> do second show. Just start it that way and then <laughs> so interrupt dated. it. Like oh, it. that
3: would be so good though.
4: Well guys, best of luck knock 'em dead. Have a great show. I know you will. That's interesting exactly. because uh you know, the groundhog can predict the weather. Right. These guys just predicted our show for tomorrow. I know. It's kind of creepy. It's an easy prediction, though. Yeah, and you would think it'd be easy for the groundhog, too, but he always seems to get it wrong. I know. What's up with that? We're creatures of habit. That's he needs problem.
3: a new job. Hey, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story, and the hero story, believe it or not, is coming out of Washington, D.C. It is Cincinnati's uh, U.S. Representative Brad Wenstrup who helped in a congressional baseball shooting, if you remember back in the day when when that went down. And now he has helped and and helped victims of a train crash. U.S. Representative Brad Wenstrup found himself as part of an unforeseeable emergency, and without hesitation he jumped in. He is the physician um, who, among other GOP members Wednesday, was at an Amtrak train uh, crash, an accident, and he got out of the train and started um, attending to the victims there. He also, by the way, was a physician, and uh, so he had a good clue of what to do and went about it, got to work. If you remember, too, he is the one that was at uh, the side of U.S. Representative Steve Scalise's um, uh, issue uh, incident when he was shot during that congressional baseball practice. Uh, He got uh, but back at the train accident. He said, I got to one of the exits as quickly as I could and uh, got out with a couple of other physicians. Apparently, there were about seven or eight other lawmakers that were physicians, and they all got busy trying to help people, uh, clearing airways, making sure that people could breathe, and, and making sure they weren't going into shock. And he was able to treat a lot of them until the emergency workers were able to get there and, and help out. So again, uh, U.S. Representative Brad Wenstrup is the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. And remember, folks. Heroes, they're you know, they're just created by an opportunity and somebody that's willing to to lend a hand. That's all it takes. So look around you today, see if somebody needs a hand, needs a lift, and you might play a hero, the role of a hero today. That is our program, folks. We will be back again tomorrow with more ideas and information to help you be the good in the world. But stick with BYU Radio because BYU Sports Nation is up next.